Hi everybody and welcome to Totally Tintin, I'm Ian Boothby. And I'm David Dedrick. And today we're going to be talking about Explorers on the Moon. We've made it to the moon! Finally! One small step for this podcast. For all those angry people. Oh, who didn't, uh, who, on, when we, we had Destination Moon, they're like, you didn't even get to the moon? <laughs> so disappointing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that, okay. Well, if you listen to our last podcast, we've covered that ground. Yes. That's well covered ground. We're leaving the ground. We're going into the sky. We're going into space. And I, I, I do want to, Go back to a little bit of the argument that we but had last time. Can I time. first but of let's, all set let's, up what? Yeah, this let's get the show going. You know I'm missing. How, you know I'm, how this goes. I'm foreshadowing. Oh, are you? Yeah. Well, foreshadowed is forewarned. <laughs> all right. So here's the way uh, the podcast works. I we are two gentlemen uh, who both love comics uh, and have been reading comics for most of our lives. I work professionally in the comics industry. Uh, I have never. I, I write the Simpsons and Futurama comic. I have never read Tintin though, even though my friend David has recommended it to me over and over. He slipped them uh, into my apartment and left them there, and uh, I have not read them. So I am now reading them for the very first time. Yes. Whereas on the other hand, whenever I showed up and said, "Have you heard the good news?" <laughs> you always slam the door in my face. That's right. Uh, I am a huge uh, Tintin and Hergé fan. I, I love them both. I, the comics, I think, are great. I made a point of reading them to my children when they were young so that they would get the Tintin bug, and they have also greatly enjoyed the books as they grew up as well. So. Now, today we have, let me just also set the stage here, uh, we have three copies of Explorers on the Moon uh, <laughs> here. Yeah. Uh, one, two in English, two in but English. from different eras, yes. uh, different publishers, and one uh, Francais. Yes. I was just kind of interested in this one because if you look at the back of it, yeah, you're pointing to the French one. Yeah, this is the French one. It's kind of interesting. Look at the back. Look at the uh, and see. Can you see something different? Can you see something missing? Well, I can see that it ends with uh, flight seven fourteen. That's or, right. So or this... vol seven fourteen. Poor Sydney. <laughs> yeah. So this one was is pre nineteen seventy six. So I thought that was interesting just to find one that doesn't have the full well. This complement of this of is books. interesting too. Let me flip your other one over. Yeah. When you're talking about the uh, Flight 714 to Sydney, mm-hmm. yours is just Flight 714 in the English version. Yes. Uh, mine is to Sydney, and the French version is poor Sydney. Yeah. So at some point, uh, Sydney got tapped on to the end of uh, that. Uh, yes, for the, in the original translation, they left off the, the uh, to Sydney part of it. And then at, I guess when Egmont redid them, they, they added that back in. I don't know why. I don't know why it was left off, and I don't know why. Do you know what? You, sh- you should listen to our podcast you know when we cover that. Exactly. I bet you will find out I at think, that point when. I think someone will find out. Very good. So how the learn. how the podcast works is, uh, we uh, talk about where Hergé and Tintin are uh, historically, uh, what's going on, a little bit of backstory, and by we I mean Dave, uh, and I do a lot of oh yeah hmm <laughs> and uh, listen and I'm fascinated, and then we go through the book page at a time. And sort of break down the story and uh, give our opinions and maybe throw a little more context on the fire as we go along. Yes. Yeah. So uh, if you have not read the uh, the book Explorers on the Moon yet, uh, we will be spoiling all of it. So uh, if you want to keep listening, that's up to you. If you want to read it first, that's also up to you. The podcast will be uh, here still after you've read it. That's Dave's recommendation as you read it first. Mine is you're a free human being. Do what you want to do. Yeah, I think, well, I think it's the best thing is to have it open in front of you while we go through it. Sure. Then and it's then almost like uh, Dave mm. is reading a story to you. What? How about you? Aren't you reading it too? I am too, but I'm sort of channeling you. <laughs> now, when you read it uh, to your uh, children, yeah. uh, did you read it in English or French? Uh, English, yeah. Very good. Uh, they were late French immersion students, so they didn't, they didn't, did I read to them when they were in that age? Yeah, probably did actually. But uh, anyway. Um, Explorers me, on the Moon. Yeah, and, and they liked it. Let's just also say that they oh, both yes. very much enjoyed the stories. Oh, yes. 
And my nephews as well. I would reach them when they were uh, sleeping over. The one thing where you're not getting out of this, though, is you're not hearing Dave's voices for all the characters, mm-hmm. which you would hear if you were a daughter of Dave's. That's right. So I recommend anyone out there who has a chance, become a daughter of Dave's. Yeah, and I'll read uh, Tintin to you. <laughs> you can sit in my lap. <laughs> okay, this got weird. Let's move on. <laughs> A little well, bit of history, Dave. It can just be sitting in my lap. It doesn't have to mean anything. Dave, put the history hat on. <laughs> take the take the lap hat off. That's right. Uh, so we were talking about this last time. So uh, we kind of got into a discussion about it. But this was considered by Hergé as one huge piece. So it wasn't meant to be two books in right. his mind. And the fact that it is two books is merely just a result of Casterman's imposed 62-page limit to, to his albums. So... You know, when he started planning this out, he knew that, um, you know, he would eventually it would eventually be chopped into two bits. Right. But he wasn't too worried about that. The same way that when he did Le Soir and he was doing uh, one page, one, you know, one tier of strips a day, he ever, never seemed to worry about the fact that for four days people were going to see someone falling over a chair. <laughs> like to him, that was fine. You know, like he didn't worry about th- that aspect of it. What he was concerned about was how it would read as an album. So he would never sacrifice the album to to make it more pleasurable to read in a daily or weekly format. And no one's ever thought of just putting these two together as one large book. I guess not, because I guess you can sell them more for yeah, I suppose two, so. two, two I don't know. I would books. say I would say fans would probably buy if there was a collection with oh. these two stories together with a little yeah. bonus material. Mm-hmm. Well, they can because they're going to be putting out a giant uh, collection. An integral of Tintin is starting. I was just reading about it. One of our listeners actually. Um, uh, sent me, I was anyway. Sent me a um, a message to show. They sent me a link to um, Benoit Peter. I don't know how to say his name. I'll just say Benoit Peters because I'm English. And uh, he uh, was writing about the fact that uh, they're starting with Volume Eleven, which will cover 1950 to 58. So the Moon Era will be covered, and it's going to have everything from that time period. So it's going to have like the books, the magazine version. Uh, you know, scenes that were censored or edited out, you know, all the rest of it, all the illustrations, covers, anything. Wow. It's just going to have everything all all thrown in there. So, And when's this coming out? Uh, I think the first one is released later this year, and then wow, it's going to okay. be published until until uh, 2020. And, yeah. Well, your Christmas presents covered this year, I think. <laughs> and for a while. Oh, I hope that'd be a good way to do it. And, uh, yeah, so, this, like, like I said, they're going to start with Volume 11, and then I guess they'll move backwards and forwards from that. And I think they just want to start at like the most popular time, just so that they yeah, get makes sense. they yeah. get interest. And once people are hooked into buying Volume Eleven, well, I'm an obsessive compulsive collector, so of course I have to have the next, the the previous ten, you know. So even even the uh, stuff like Land of the Soviets and things like that, I'll I'll still have to get because because I have the other ones. So yeah, that will be interesting to to have them all together. Right now, this is what we have, though. So and there have been versions; they have released versions that um that um have more of the cut out stuff but anyway uh so what year are we at with what this year story? we're at now is we're just starting 1952 so this started in uh 29th of october 1952 thank you for getting my brain on track and it ran to the 29th of december 1953 as usual there was a break in the published publication uh, about 18 months where once again Hergé fell victim to let's just call it clinical depression let's yeah. call it what it is <laughs> Uh, and so he took some time off. He and his wife went to Switzerland and stayed there for a while with friends and just enjoying life, taking pictures, doing this and doing that. And, uh, what was interesting at the time was 
even the magazine stopped joking about it at this point or even scolding him in in print right um readers were really concerned though i mean they felt like is erge sick of tintin is he going to kill him off what's happening like we, no one knew what his what he was thinking and he actually published a letter to tintin magazine that had an illustration of him like kind of collapsed in an armchair and uh, he explained you know what he was going through basically and in a contemporary interview, he said, if you ask doctors, they will tell you that there's nothing that takes longer to cure than a nervous depression, or more exactly, cerebral cerebral anemia. I don't know if that's an actual term, or he just made it up. Yeah, it should be, though. It's a good term. <laughs> it took 20 years to destroy me consciously. How do you expect me to recover in six months? Was his question in this interview. So, you know, it's a good point. And for someone who is going through this at a time when they were just starting, like the 1950s, obviously, is sort of the beginning of that kind of psychoanalysis craze or psychiatry craze. So, you know, it's the right time period for him to be going through this, I guess, in the sense that there was, people were starting to be aware of these things and help was starting to come about. Right. When it was so popular, there was that EC comic, Psychoanalysis, right? Did yes. you ever read that one? Yeah. It's really strange. And also, it's not a long time since World War II. You know, no. I mean, there's a reason to, like, you can be depressed to be depressed, and you don't need a war to have happened. No. And you don't need to have almost been arrested after a war no. uh, to, to be depressed. But it doesn't hurt. It doesn't help. Well, I'm saying it doesn't hurt the depression's power. Oh, okay. You. Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, essentially, he's a Boy Scout. I mean, that's what we have to think about him. He's this innocent silly immature boy scout for a lot long part of his adult life he still had that aspect to him and suddenly he's dragged in the most painful way into adulthood mm -hmm. you know and the world wasn't such a kind place or such a friendly place or even such an appealing place after that to him mm -hmm. um what's interesting at this time you know we always talk, we talk in north america i know not all our listeners are from north america but uh in north america around this time in the 50s there was a book published by uh a psychiatrist, actually Frederick Wortham, Dr. Frederick Wortham, called Seduction of the Innocent. And it basically, it was a uh, book about the power of comics over young children, like the power of images and violent images and comics over young children. And, you know, it started a, a big, we can call it a witch hunt, I guess. It started a, a big, sort of a, a minor mass hysteria. There was comic book burnings. There was talk about government control of comics. And, you know, in order to head this off at the path, the comic industry created what was called the Comics Code Authority. Right. Basically, the if it was a witch hunt, then the people accused of being witches decided to take themselves out. When well, what they what they did was they said, you know, okay, if we're being called witches, we can't wear black pointed caps or hats. We can't carry around brooms anymore. No yeah. carrying wands. Though the truth of the matter was, almost all of the regulations that they came up with had a had another uh, motive to them, which was to crush EC Comics, mm -hmm. which was very popular. Yeah. So EC Comics did a lot of stuff with like the undead yeah. and, you know, and crime comics. And so almost all of the regulations were no undead, no vampires, no werewolves. Crime can't be uh, really violent and the criminals must immediately be caught and it can't be exciting. Yeah. And all basically... What what else is in your comics? That no, okay, it can't be that. Yeah. And so, which then had the result historically of that they had to like do something else, and so they created Mad uh, as a, as a comic, and mm -hmm. that became Mad Magazine. So some good came out of it, but yeah, a lot of it was to crush 
Yeah, EC. Have, that's where the New Directions comics like psychoanalysis came from. But the but or the, psychiatry? But the kind of thing, yeah, the kind of thing that they were saying was if you read uh, Batman comics, well, clearly uh, that uh, Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson are in a relationship, romantic relationship, and isn't that clear? No, it's not clear, and it's not, and that's completely wrong. But it's the kind of thing that'll spark, yeah, you know, America at the time, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So there was things like, you know, government and religion have to be respected in the comics. Women can't be scantily clad. Uh, no use of the words horror or terror, which, of course, yeah. tied into DC because Vault of Horror and Crypt of Terror immediately could no longer be published. Yeah, it was blatant else. there, uh, mm-hmm. what they were doing, yeah. Now, of course, we look to enlightened Europe to help us out of this problem. But Europe was going through the same thing. In France, they started what was called the Commission for the Surveillance and Control of Publications for Children and Adolescents. And so this was a government organization. So it wasn't even like a doctor starting a kind of grassroots movement. This was this was a government what was clamping the, down. What do you think the trigger was for that in uh, Europe? I think the trigger was the same in both places, which is everyone had come out of the war. Yeah. And everyone was scared of of life. You know, they were scared of people being out of control. You know, so they wanted everything to be carefully controlled. Everything had to be in a certain box. You know, we all had to have like the atomic family and everyone had to be straight and yeah. you know what I mean? And you had to hide yourself. What it seemed you know? Why like, was there so much yeah. drinking then? Because everyone was so, you know, everyone was suppressing themselves so much to fit into this this culture yeah. of conformity. When I when I see news footage of the time, they mm-hmm. seem, at least in North America, and that's really the only news footage I've seen, it's it's blaming it for juvenile delinquency. Yeah. And the 50, 1950s in America, it was the first time we had teenagers, because that didn't really exist. The idea of teenagers as we see teenagers today. Yeah. And so uh, with that, it feels like it came the fear of this, of the youth. And it was it showed a uh, uh, film of a kid reading a comic and then looking at his friend and picking up a rock. Yeah. And like, now I've learned how to murder you and I'm going to. But of course, that never happened. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, and nowadays I'm sure you could, if someone is going, the internet, it's making, it's whatever the thing is of the mm-hmm. time. Rock and roll. It's and what's could, doing the thing. You it. could go back into the jazz era and hear the same thing about jazz music. Mm-hmm. And the 1920s, and hear the same sort of hysteria. I'm sure Sophocles it's, had some things to say, and I think he did. I just think that in the 1920s, and I mean, in a way, it did work. I mean, prohibition is an example of a suppression of of fun, a suppression of mm-hmm. of you know, that's an but example. Did that cut down uh, drinking, or no, did people just drink under the table? People just, I mean, it did cut down on some drinking. Not everyone broke the law, but yes, when the law was broken, it was broken flagrantly, right? Um, but and that was an example of coming out of World War One. You know, that gave People who are, you know, anti-drinking, the teetotal movement or whatever, this opportunity to, to kind of push their, their agenda. And the same thing after World War II when people are, once again, they're, they're recovering from the war. They want this particular straight ahead, you know, all the soldiers coming back. You know, you have to kind of imagine them coming back from, you know, World War II. When they left, everyone was wearing long skirts and women had a certain demure attitude and, and the life was this way and then after when they came back they missed this chunk of, of of you know how society was evolving you know especially with women working during the war and so they come back and now shirts are you know skirts are short women's attitudes are different uh you know they're much more mannish in a way they're smoking yeah. they're drinking they're doing all these things that they didn't do in the 30s as much you know and so so men came back to this and they're like well what the heck's going on here this is not what i left this is this is a new world and I'm not, I don't know if I like it. So let's crush everything back down again and make everything all straight and narrow and we can fit it into this box. Yeah, that always works. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, these kind of commissions are just an example of that as people's 
fear of of out of control. Yeah, it's control of the uncontrollable. Yeah, and usually fear of something that shouldn't be feared. And this, and in the same case as, um, I mean, it was made a, I mean, Wortham had his Wortham had po- a point to make. It's not that he was wrong. You know, violent images can cause you know bad behavior in people, the same way that guns can cause bad behavior in people or not. It just depends what people who who has it. Um, the thing is, is that. Uh, what's interesting in Europe is that how it was more a case of government, family associations, even editors and illustrators were part of this organization or this commission looking at, at stuff. The problem is, is that, and well, the other interesting thing is that it was a result of an alliance in pub- book publishing between the Catholic Church and the communists. Because both of them were essentially made up the entirety of the publishing, uh, uh, what would you call it, the publishing industry for, for children's uh, literature. Like all the magazines and stuff like that, were either controlled by the Catholic Church or by communists, and each of them were, had their own kind of agenda. Not necessarily weren't selling wow. communism, but yeah. had a particular national nationalist point of view of you know courage and bravery and stuff like that. In both cases, but both had a you know different end, I guess, in sight. One you go to heaven, the other one you go to proletariat heaven. Uh, so, like the the problem is, is when you start a campaign like this, is it immediately becomes self-interest. The same way that it, the Comics Code Authority attacked the most popular comic book company. What happened in Europe was they started to attack American comics. So magazines that were primarily American, for instance, Tarzan, Tarzan magazine or the Mickey Mouse, Mickey, uh, Journal de Mickey, you know, those are almost 100% American. They weren't using French artists in them. And so, you know, who's going to support uh, attacking these magazines and making more publishing room for, you know, French or whatever illustrators? You know, the illustrators. That's, that's, it's in their interest. Yeah. And same with the publishers. So, uh, so Tarzan magazine was a casualty because, you know, he's obviously too wild for kids to read. He's half naked. Right. For, for, for kids might start. start living in the jungle. They might start wearing a lion skin and sure. living in the jungle. Yeah. Uh, monkey see, monkey do. The side issue of this is that other foreign magazines in France were Spirou and Tintin magazine because they were published in Belgium. So they fell outside of the French, you know, sense of national, you know, so they, they were publishing, even they were publishing in French with Franco-Belgian art- artists. They were uh, foreign. So they also came under this. So like Lucky Luke had to tone down its violence, for instance, uh, because it was you know too, many, too much gunplay. Fortunately for Tintin, because you know Tintin himself is such a straight arrow, is such a Boy Scout character, that it kind of influenced the rest of the content of the magazine. So it wasn't really that much that was objectionable. So they really got, kind of escaped. But uh, Yeah, they were already toning things down. We talked about that scene where he threw a rock in someone's face and they cut that out and made it yeah you know yeah. uh did made, made it less violent yeah. yeah yeah and i'm sure that's partly why when it went from into the books it was a lot different than when it was being published right. in le petit vingtième and i think also le petit vingtième was being published in the 30s and so you know pre-war and post-war are two totally different attitudes Absolutely, to, to yeah. violence um after you've been through a war your sense of what you how you pro- process violence would be a lot different the other interesting thing is is uh Hergé must have anticipated the tone of the times because just as the moon started their serialization in Tintin magazine the commission met and began to put together guidelines on the representation of science science in comic books and children's literature how so well this was their thing this is what they said this anticipation so they're talking about basically they're kind of talking of like the best science fiction author Jules Verne and what did he do with science how did he approach science okay. well he used very realistic sense of science that he that he um anticipated future developments so 
So that's what they wanted. So they said, this anticipation is valid precisely to the extent that it remains worthy of being called scientific. Whereas Jules Verne anticipated the development of science by projecting actual progress, the imagination of writers of children's books absolves itself too often of any scientific consideration and improvises according to the needs of the fantastical story without any concern for linking these to some sort of scientific category. It seems that a great show of caution is required in projecting the advances in science and to remain, within, and to remain with science in its actual state to find all the authentic marvels rather than to exaggerate dangerously in the realm of pure fantasy. Okay. So basically, what's, really big fans of hard science fiction. Yeah. What's dangerous about the fantasy of science fiction? I guess the sense... Kids will build their own time machines? I don't think it's... A, I think it's danger of disappointment or a sense of... When they'll get to the future, sense, they won't yeah. get a flying car and they'll all of, just riot? Yeah, a sense of unreality. I think a flying car would have been considered to be within the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. But I think stuff like there being uh, time machines or... Uh, flying some sort of flying monsters and stuff right. like that. You know, things that are obviously were fantastical. So not big H.G. Wells fans. Not big. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe so. Maybe that's maybe he was a British author. So we'll, let's that's make what it, it feels let's like. Let's make a lot. It feels like all of these things are like we got to protect the children, and how will we do so by giving me more work? <laughs> that seems what every one of them uh, these things always leads to is. There's also some financial self interest that then uh, kicks in, and that sort of takes over. Financial self interest, and then just it's the tenor of the times. I mean, as we as the, in France, the 50s was kind of the change from a, a, a religious culture to more of a secular culture. I mean, it's always, always happened in France, of course, because of the after the revolution. But but we're seeing a, a philosophical change, you know, from what you know into existentialism and logical positivism and stuff like that that had a you know purely sec- secular basis. You know, so that's the time period that we're in now. So we're seeing a change in philosophy as well. So now we're going from people who who no longer want the fantastical, they only want the realistic, you know. And so that's becoming, uh, I would say, an interesting problem for authors. <laughs> but yeah, to me, that would be very hard to write children's literature, to write without fantastical elements. Mm-hmm. I mean, that really takes a lot out of, the, out of your, uh, a lot of arrows out of your quiver to me. So I think whether that really passed or not, I don't know, but I just think it's interesting that they were discussing it at the time. Do you feel that the Tintin books became less fantastic uh, from this point on? Well, I think they were heading that way anyway. I think Hergé... Because I haven't read them, the mm-hmm. future books. And Hergé... I don't want to spoil too much, but yeah, just in general. I would say that there's a it's a pendulum. So they're going to go in one direction, and then they're going to go back in a, okay. a, a bit, another direction again. So I don't think he ever... I don't think he thought thought in that way. I think to him, you know, he just when he came up with a story that was interesting to him, then he just went with it. He didn't worry about right. those kind of considerations as much. Um, I think, you know, he kind of knew instinctively knew Tintin's character and so he that part of the story was out of his control you know there's that point you reach as an author where your character lives its own life that you can't and does things that you can't control you could maybe try you could try and put him in a situation and try and force him but it's not going to work that way because you know his character and you know what he's going to do and so he has to do that so and I think that Hergé resented that about Tintin actually later on that he resented that really pure Boy Scout element to him that it was just too too good to be true and he just felt trapped in that you know that the character why you know what's more interesting why does why is Haddock more interesting to Tintin well because or to Hergé because he's a flawed character you know whereas Tintin is practically perfect in every yeah. way the, other, the last thing I'll say before we start looking at the book was uh Casterman were unhappy with the title of the book which in French is uh as you look right here on a marché sur la lune which was the so original walking, title walking on the we moon. we walked on the moon that's okay. basically well, 
Oh, it could be he walked on the moon or one walks on the moon or one walked on the moon. Um, they thought that was too dry. They didn't like it. But he refused to change it. In fact, he, st- he said, I will only change it to no salami for Salamane. <laughs> and Cashman said, didn't say anything worse, which I thought that was very strange. I didn't, I didn't get the reference. So I looked, I Googled it. And it's actually, it's actually a, a, a Ramon Machereau story. Uh, Machereau wrote for Tint, or wrote and drew for Tintin magazine. Right. He did the, Oh, I've got a couple of the books at home, but I can't remember the name of the characters now. He did kind of funny animal comics, uh, very, very appealing funny animal comics. And so he's quite uh, popular. Chlorophyll, that's the name of the character. And uh, yeah, so he did these, that's one of the titles of his collection. So I guess Hergé was having a lot of fun by saying, I only will change the name if I can name it after a book that already exists by an author for the same magazine I work for. <laughs> I guess Cashman couldn't be bothered to pursue it after that. It's good to know that even during the grip of horrible depression, he was still able to, to have mm-hmm. some fun. So, And I think in the long run, the title worked for them, right? The I think so. sold well. People liked it? These books were not as popular as uh, the previous two duologies um, initially. And I think the reason for that wasn't because of their quality. I think it was because mm-hmm. of the publishing history. I think that because of the long gaps in, you know, like basically in, um, it was like two years between the, begin- the beginning and end of the first book, Destination Moon. And then this one, there's another 18 months breakdown. So I think that created, we were talking about it last time, we were saying like uh, readers growing up reading these stories, like growing up and out of Tintin. Mm-hmm. Well, you have a real example of that. I mean, two years is a big, uh, is a lot of time. If you're 13 and you're loving Tintin and there's no Tintin for two more years, yeah. you're 15 years old. Are you going to go back and read it? Probably not. Yeah, you found uh, other things to you like. You found other girls to like. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it's... Uh, you can read and like girls at the same time. This is, this is not the same anymore. Tintin is not going to be the same to you as a, okay. as a, as a teen. You know what I mean? Fair enough. I mean, it's okay for us because it's always there. You know, yeah. the whole series is there for us to read as we grow older. Well, when you're mentioning the uh, breaks that Hergé was taking, mm-hmm. that feels like that. Every time you take one of those, you must like age out the uh, the, the readers. That's, as that's, well. yeah, yeah, that's what I, that's what I mean. Oh, okay, but so, I mean, yeah. like even yeah, I get you. So the 18 month gap between, or the two year gap between the beginning of Destination right, Moon and yeah. the end of Destination Moon. I mean, well, I shouldn't even say the beginning. The, the two-year gap between the end of the first part of Destination Moon and the beginning of the second part of Destination Moon, that's two years. Well, what I thought you were saying then was mm. because this whole story, you know, uh, from start to finish, you know, takes so long. Oh, you can yeah. You can age out it's, from the start. You know, you're a, you're yeah. a, you're a kid when you start and uh, you got a very deep voice and a full beard <laughs> by the time uh, it ends. You yeah. feel like you're the Thompsons it's, having taken those pills and, uh, yeah. For sure. it's it's uh, It started in... It started in 1949, so at 53, so, you know, four years. And that's not, and only a part of that is actual publishing time. The rest of it is break, where yeah. he was, he was, you know, and it's not, it's not his fault. You know, he was, had a medical condition. No, no, we're meant, not, there's no, so not there's no him. blame, no, but the situation but just, is the yeah, situation. To explain why this was maybe not as popular immediately, but it caught on really quickly. And in fact, people wanted him to, to do more stories. And his feeling was... I mean, more space stories. His yeah. fe- but his feeling was, well, what next? Go to Venus or Mars? What are you going to do there? Mm-hmm. So as far as I'm concerned, it's finished. Well, I could see... Okay. <laughs> well, the book doesn't say that. I can see I can see why they'd want that, because to get to the end of the book, you know, so to spoil the ending, you know, it kind of ends with him going, and we're going to go back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, you guys going to go back? No. <laughs> oh, well, you said the end of this one is... We're well, going to go back, one, right? One character says it. Another character, I think, firmly says no. Yeah, but that's the character who doesn't get his own way through the whole thing. <laughs> he didn't want to go true. up in the first place. I guess that's true. Yeah. All right. Well, we can start. Okay. If you'd like. Well, let's start with the cover as usual. All right. Uh, the cover is another in a long line of back-of-the-head shots for Haddock. <laughs> and Tintin and Snowy. That's true. But 
Uh, Haddock, you know, uh, you look at Prisoners of the Sun, back of the head. Destination Moon, back of the head. Explorers on the Moon, back of the head. And this trend will continue into the Calculus Affair. You know, it's uh, it's interesting that you have one of your main characters and just uh, constant back of the head shots on the cover. Yeah, I'm just curious. And he's not even on the cover of Black Gold. But then again, he's not really in the story. That's um, right. It is a really good cover, though. Uh, I mean, if I was looking at all the covers of, of Tintin stories and I saw this would be the one that would probably grab me, this one or Red Rackham's Treasure. You know, both have, I think, the most uh, gripping visual. You yeah. Know? And the, the rocket, you know, I think we mentioned before, is, is an amazing design. It's just beautiful. It is, a, it is an amazing design. And, and I love the long cover. ladder. I love the long <laughs> ladder just leading to the ground. Uh, yeah. So just a wonderful work by, by Bob Dumore. Most of it... I think he probably even drew the spacesuit. So basically, what was provided on the cover was Hergé just drawing in the heads of the characters. Mm-hmm. And Snowy looks fantastic in his little dog spacesuit. Oh, so good. I love Snowy. Everyone's got their into. And uh, you're a huge fan of the tint of, sorry, of Hergé's water. Uh, and you mentioned that you love his rocks as well. So yep. this is just a good time for you all the way around. There's so much rocks in yeah, this. Yeah, they're a bit different. The moon rocks are a little different than my favorite rocks. But oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So not your favorite rocks. Interesting. Yeah, all interesting. right. So I'll just say one more thing when we turn when we turn to this first page is that this page was not part of the magazine. Uh, it wouldn't be necessary. It wasn't necessary. That's right. There was no there was a month break, but it wasn't a super long break. So it just the story just picked up where it left off. Uh, right. They've gone into they've gone into space, uh, yeah. and uh, we've lost the signal. We're they're yeah. not uh, able to uh, to yeah. uh, be in contact with the rocket. And then we also see uh, the villains who we're going to see a lot in this exact same pose through the entire story. Yeah. Of course, the original one started with page two, so we, like in Tintin Magazine, so yeah, we get this kind of quick recap at the beginning of the book, but the magazine readers did not. They just it carried straight on. Right. So, so yeah, if you if you decided to redo the story and just put them all together, you'd have to actually have to lose this page. Yeah, you lose this page. Yeah. Well, you don't lose a lot. You lose. Well, we we can't get uh, we can't get them, and then uh, then we see the villains who are really bwahaha-ish villains. Uh, <laughs> by Lucifer, it's a bad blow for us if they're all dead, and yeah. you can tell he's bad because he, he swears by the devil, by Lucifer. Yeah. yeah. Though I do like the shot uh, on the very bottom of the rocket heading into space and leaving Earth. That is a really pretty. And shot. And one of many many shots of the Earth that there's absolutely no cloud cover on <laughs> okay. any of the pictures of the Earth. It's as if it was the clearest day on Earth. Right. So we go to page two and we see uh, the uh, the beds, uh, yes. which are, which are really interesting design for for the beds. They do make sense, like uh, that you'd uh, yeah. if you had to deal with these. One thing I really like is uh, them dealing with the G forces and how they're just crushing and painful. You really get a sense of yeah. it's it's painful to ride in this rocket. Yeah. You know that's uh, I, I like though that Snowy is the first one awake, which is actually inaccurate. Uh, dogs actually do deal the worst with. Uh... Well, he G-force. also Snowy does not have a bed either. Yeah, I know. He's like smack. Well, he's supposed to. Tintin's trying to call him up in the last book. Tintin's yeah. trying to call him up onto the bed, but he doesn't. He doesn't come up. But actually, in reality, the dog would be the last one to wake up. But it's yeah better in this, for story for story purposes. Yeah, it's cute to have Snowy. And uh, they treat Snowy very well in this story to the point really well to the point where when we'll get to it. Yeah. But there's certain things that happen where it's shocking where you should just go. Yeah. Well, we got to get rid of Snowy. There's no two ways about it. <laughs> So, uh, so there, the, uh, mission control, let's say, is, uh, is, is trying to get, uh, the rocket on, but everyone is, uh, passed out. Uh, Snowy, uh, wakes up and, uh, does what, uh, what every pet does, uh, to wake you up in the morning, which is lick the back of your head. Or maybe that's just every pet I've ever had. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's waking up, uh, Tintin, and, uh, good for Snowy, gets Tintin, uh, to the radio, 
and uh, they're very pleased to hear that uh, everyone's alive. <laughs> uh, but the captain's there, and the captain's, you know, being the captain, he's a grump about this whole thing. He can't believe that they're on their way to the moon. Yes. He doesn't even like it. Yeah. He's on this monumentous, did I say monumentous? Momentous journey, and uh, he's not appreciating it. Well, and, you know, again, you're not a big fan of my theory of uh, comedy relief, whereas, you know, if uh, I, I say if uh, if only Snowy's there, Snowy gets hurt. If the captains and Snowy are there, the captain gets hurt. If mm -hmm. the Thompsons are there, the Thompsons get hurt. Yeah. Uh, I think in this case, we've got who's the most dangerous character to have on board. <laughs> and at this point, because we only have the captain, uh, we have the captain there. The captain's the most dangerous guy because he does not believe he's on a rocket. Yeah. And he will be doing things that will endanger everybody very shortly. Yes. Right. So, uh, so you must have been happy when you got to page three then. Well, here's the thing about page. Well, is there anything more on page two? Nope. Okay. We get to page three and, uh, yeah, this is what I said would happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which we I couldn't spoil it for you. So I, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, though it didn't end in the way that I thought it would end. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Thompson, Thompson and Thompson have, uh, our stowaways. Mm -hmm. They've showed up. Yeah. Now they've endangered everybody because we don't have enough oxygen. <laughs> yes. This is the thing. We were talking about why, uh, Thompson and Thompson don't get used more in future storylines. And it's because as you get more realistic, uh, the slapsticky goofs, yeah. uh, l really endanger you to the point where, uh, you can't have them around. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the last, uh, the last story, Tintin just says to, to someone, listen, I know you guys got them locked up. Keep them locked up. Yeah. I gotta go solve a crime. <laughs> yeah. I don't have time for this nonsense anymore. And you get the sense of this in, in this story as well. They're just impatient with them rather than right. being friendly with them. They're just kind of like, ugh. And, well, it's uh, beyond ugh. It's like, we got no oxygen for you guys. Yeah. You, you really, uh, messed everything up. Yeah, they thought that the uh, the launch was at uh, 3.14 p.m. It turns out it was, I'm oh, sorry, 1.34 uh, p.m., but it was 1.34 a.m. Whoops. Yeah. And so now we got them in space as well. I don't mind seeing them. I like, the, I like Thompson and Thompson. Oh, I mean, I like them too. And, and you feel like, you know, Tintin is obliged, you know, I guess he felt obliged with kind of the fan service thing where, you know, people like the, like the Thompson twins are... are or you know you don't like that term, but this, like Thompson and Thompson. Snowy used it last time, so it's it's official. <laughs> you you don't you don't like Thompson Thompson that much, so I can under, I can understand, and I feel I, like I'm okay with them. It's just they they got to be used properly, mm -hmm. and you know when they've gone full idiot, yes. you know to the point where they're just they can't walk three feet yeah. without blah, you know. <laughs> there's a there's a point in this story where they're just yelling at them, don't push that one switch. <laughs> Whoa, <Whoa. laughs> they're gonna push the switch. It's just. You gotta tie them up, but, put them in the brig, and uh, save your own I guess. lives. But for the for the fun of that sequence, you have to have some spark or some thing to it. So yeah, you know you can't, you know. So you have to have someone start it because can't have Captain Haddock start it because he's the victim of it. So it's kind of it's it it the way it works. It's it's it makes sense. But I understand. Like even I, when I read this for the first time, I do remember feeling the sense of oh, why did right. you guys not really? You know, you just feel you feel a. A sense of and I get to I get the reality of the story is we love Snowy yes Tintin loves Snowy everyone loves Snowy mm -hmm. but once we've got two guys uh, extra guys here and the and calculus is saying this is a grave problem uh, we assessed our oxygen supplies for four people uh, not now we have six on board not counting Snowy will our oxygen last out probably not I guess we have to kill Snowy. I mean, it sounds like a terrible no, thing to have to do, to... but if there's one thing on the ship that's using oxygen that's an animal, and you've got humans, well, look, I, I understand it's a comic and we're not going to do that, 
No one's going to kill Snowy. That's no terrible. one's going to kill Snoopy. That's the most horrible thing I've ever heard anyone ever But when ever we're say. talking oxygen rationing, the dog's got to go. No. Anywho. All right. So we figure out the problem with the Thompsons, that they're idiots. And then uh, we go to uh, Calculus calling everyone up. And uh, he's so excited. And they go up and they view through this uh, stroboscopic periscope. Nice. The site of the Earth. Once again, no cloud cover. <laughs> yeah. The clearest day in the history of the Earth. Uh, and they're apparently 6,000 miles from it, which is quite amazing. Then we have uh, Haddock. Is that an unrealistic view of the Earth for uh, 6,000 miles? No, I think that's pretty accurate. Uh, it's, it's enlarged because they're looking at it through a, yeah, that's a device right. that can that can make it larger or smaller. Well, I think like if, if I was reading this story for the first time, and I was, yeah. uh, that's that's a cool device. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in the moon, you're you're in a rocket ship. You want something you can look down and uh, yeah. check out Earth. That's this, ex- it's exciting. Yeah, I and, mean, this rocket ship is totally counter to the the reality of of uh, although I mean it it's totally counter to the reality of. Of the economics of space of space travel okay, but, of that time period, but you're dealing with okay. I like that you're dealing with things like we only have a certain amount of oxygen. Oh yeah, that's and great. you're dealing with G forces hurts you. Mm-hmm. This isn't Flash Gordon or Buck Rogers going, "I'm off to space." Wee! And they're fine. They're just sitting standing, there standing, having yeah. a cup of coffee. Everything's great. <laughs> yeah. Why is there gravity in space? That's uh, all. It just is. Yeah. You know, this is a lot more realistic. Mm-hmm. And and they've and they've got actual problems that you would have in in space. Yeah. So uh, no, yeah. no, I agree with you. I mean, I mean, he, you know, there's times where he throws the scientific rulebook out the window in favor of the gag, but for the most part, it's pretty accurate. There are some mistakes that were made. Mm. Uh, just. You know, because they're dealing with stuff that no one had ever been to. I mean, now, yes, we've been to the moon. But at this point, no one had actually ever seen the surface of the moon. So everything that we're reading is just guesswork and conjecture. But as you read along, there's not a lot that you go, no. Yeah. I mean, this is this is pretty right. Yeah. You know, uh, and a lot of the things they do when on the moon, it's what people did when they were on the moon. Yeah. This is, you know, good job, futurists. But Uh, uh, meanwhile, Haddock kicks the Thompsons out of the, uh, let's call it the, Bedroom? I don't know. Exactly right. For that area. But now that that comedy relief is gone, yeah. who becomes the comedy relief? Attic. So he opens up a book. Well, uh, they all take their turns. Guide to Astronomy, <laughs> except for Tintin, uh, opens up to Guide to Astronomy, mm. and we see inside, because it's Haddock, two bottles of whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, And he has uh, quite a few of those books, doesn't he? He has six books, or three books, so he has six bottles of whiskey. Yeah, that would be an interesting thing. Like, I don't, you know, people like uh, Tintin merchandise. Uh, I don't, have they ever come out with their own whiskey? I don't know. I've never seen if, it. If they do, they should sell them in those books. As a not drinker, I you would maybe know. buy it just to have it. To have Loch Lamond? Yeah. You might have one of those on your shelf. <laughs> so we see Haddock uh, having the first drink. It's all working out. Uh, he's enjoying the first chapter of the book. Wink. Uh, then on to <laughs> chapter two, which probably isn't the best idea in the world. Not for Haddock. All right. Well, let's just cut back up to the Thompsons and see what's going on. Sure. Uh, we, we literally have calculus going, look out. Your stick's hooked up to the lever. Yes. For heaven's sake, the one thing you can't do. Yeah. Don't pull it. Help. D- don't pull. He's like a video of a cat that is going to knock something over. and Don't do it. Don't. Don't. You don't. And he pulls it. Did, so, uh, did they explain how the uh, how the they have a, a have gravity, gravity switch? Yeah, yeah they do. Uh, on the on the next uh, on the next page, I think he. Uh, he, oh he, yeah, so the constant acceleration yes. of the of a rocket it creates sort of... artificial uh, the illusion of gravity. But what I like about this is once the gravity is turned off, uh, the captain's whiskey turns into a ball and floats. 
Now yeah. I don't know if if there's another story where you where you've seen that before. That's completely true. That's what happened. That's what would happen. That's what would happen. But and I've, there was a gag from uh, from Hoevelman's and Van Melkebeek's original script, the one they wrote on spec or wrote for Hergé. Uh, that was a gag that was in there that he, one of the few things he kept from that was this gag because he liked it so much. The idea of the whiskey floating in a globule yeah. in front of, uh, of a haddock. And, it I, is, and again, like I don't say, know of any other stories have did something similar to that, but it's, it's a good gag and it works perfectly for, like, it's, what I love about that is, he, uh, Haddock's trying to go get it. Yes. But then there's Snowy there as well. And I think he's fascinated because one, it's whiskey. Yes. Snowy loves whiskey. Yes, he does. And two, it's a ball. Yeah. He's a dog. He's going to go for the ball. So now sure. you got these two chasing uh, a ball of whiskey floating through the air. That's just a great visual. Yeah. Yeah. And then when we get to the, the next page, you know, not only is he, he becomes less concerned with the ball of whiskey and more interested in just the fact that he's able to fly around the room. And so he starts having some fun. He's float, flapping his arms well, like wings. Well, before he does that, he uh, he knows something's happened because Snowy doesn't usually walk upside down like that. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's an unusual thing. Uh, we, we go to the uh, control room with Tintin, uh, the Thompsons, uh, Calculus. Who's the other fellow's name? Wolf. Wolf, Wolf. Yeah. Uh, and they're all floating around kind of realistically. Like, you see the Thompsons just, what? Uh, Tintin sensibly grabbing something. Holding uh, the periscope. Uh, calculus doesn't seem to really care. Mm-hmm. He's just explaining things casually. And Wolf is panicking. So this all works. Yes. Uh, then we, uh, well, Tintin tries to get to the controls. Uh, back to uh, the captain. Uh, now he is, as you say, flying yeah. like a little bird. Flapping his wings like a little birdie. Yeah. And uh, then uh, I also like him, like, kind of rest, sort of taking position under the ball of whiskey so he can sort of have it drop into his mouth. But then when the gravity is turned on, he falls to the floor with, with the ball of whiskey hitting him square, square in the face. But what's interesting is that although it's going to happen in a second, it cuts out the bottle hitting him. On yeah, the it also looks like the bottle is going to hit him. Because the bottle is going to hit him. And I like uh, I like Snowy hitting him in the chest yes, yeah. and a uh, little kind of cross eyes there for Snowy there, yeah. poor little guy. <laughs> So, okay, we've had our fun. Uh, (laughs) Now uh, Earth is calling the moon rocket asking what's going on and why have you stopped your nuclear motor? Uh, They explain uh, the whole situation. You know, uh, one of the two detectives accidentally closed the motor motor throttle, but we started her up again. Okay, and off they're going. Uh, What's curious is when when they did the moon land, when they did the actual moon landing in 69, is that everything was carefully calculated so that, you know, the, the... ship went around and then it, I guess it circled the moon so that they could decelerate a little bit before, you know, the, the landing took place. But there's absolutely no way for them to like stop and then start up again. That was just impossible. Mm. So, the, you know, all, all the energy was in the actual takeoff, getting them outside of, off, away from gravity. Then the rest of it was just mathematics True. to get them around. Whereas this, you know, they can steer it, they can stop, they can go off in the wrong direction. Well, and they come back with a, a complete rocket yeah. as well. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, it's, that's right. It's not a multi-stage rocket the way that, the way that they had to where the, half gotta... of it is, half of it is like this, well, this is basically gasoline. It's just basically like a giant thing of, of various flammable gases. Well, again, in a world where most sci-fi is Buck Rogers, you got to give the the science in this a C plus. Like, mm-hmm. there's enough realistic things, yeah. you're fine. But then, yeah, as you say, that's not how that. Well, part it's of not it. that it's inaccurate. I mean, if they're actually flying with a with a nuclear engine, mm-hmm. like an atomic engine that's right. it's getting its energy from nuclear power, then they have an unlimited amount of power on their on their rocket. They can go all over the place. The, thing is for for apollo was that all the energy was in the takeoff and the rest of it was just you know using once they were outside of the earth atmosphere the rest of it is just 
floating basically and just having using the rest of that propulsion to get to the moon. But these guys, they have because they have the nuclear motor. It's not just this big, you know, giant can of gas that they're sitting on. Right. They they're able to to you know be a little bit more, and also they're able to walk around and yeah, you know, we got to not eating out of little tiny plastic packages True. of horrible pureed food. Yeah, though that I- astronaut ice cream is pretty good. If you ever had a chance to have that, pretty good. Um, just balls of ice. What's that? Just balls of ice. Well, that's what ice cream is anyway. Um, <laughs> sounds like someone's putting down popsicles. Uh, now, we've got a scene here where, listen, everyone's got a line where they just go, nope, too far. Yes. Uh, and uh, we got one of those scenes here where calculus is, by the way, let me just say something I like about calculus in this. Yeah. We have abandoned completely the heart of hearing angle. Gone. Yeah. He is not the comedy relief character in this. Sure. He's got a hearing aid. Yeah. He's fine. He's the functioning guy on the ship, yeah. which I like because when we're, we're when we need a scientist who knows what's what, great. We got enough flakes on this ship without <laughs> him. Also, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, so that's good. Good. He's sensible. He's had his moment. I mean, he did throw away the rocket plans in the garbage. Sure. Okay. But yeah, for this whole story, this whole story, yeah. he's on the money. He's pretty confident. Uh, anyway, so he's saying, unless I'm dreaming, there's Adonis looking uh, looking through, uh, you know, as whatever you'd be looking through and seeing yeah. uh, an astro- asteroid or meteor. What is it? It is, would be an asteroid. Asteroid. That's right. Uh, dwarf planet as well. Uh, so uh, there's Adonis. And then one of the Thompsons goes, who's Adonis? A friend of yours living near? here <laughs> boo okay if you if you're really that stupid yes that you think there's a friend living in space again we have to tie you up and put you in the brig because you're gonna hurt somebody you're possibly the guy who pulled that switch earlier and almost killed us all with the gravity nonsense yeah anyway so now uh calculus uh, introduces tintin to some uh, special boots uh, mm. That will uh, keep you on the ground. Magnetic, yeah. boots. Magnetic boots. When yeah. you uh, if if this uh, if one of these jerks uh, <laughs> yes. pushes a button after I've yelled seventeen times, <laughs> don't push this one button. Uh, we're gonna be fine. Yeah. So uh, so then uh, Tintin's about to put on the boots, but he notices a piece of paper on a table, uh, and uh, he's shocked by what it is. He's yes. got to like take it to see the, the professor, uh, and uh, whoop! There 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 goes gravity. Whoops! There goes gravity. Yes. A modern musician would say. Uh, Tintin runs up and says, uh, reads the note, I'm fed up with your rotten rocket. I'm going home to Marlin Spike, signed Haddock. Yes. Oh, boy. Okay, so. uh, But we know he's drunk. Drunk Haddock. We've seen him light a boat on fire. To yeah. get warm, he's 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 pretty dangerous. One drink, one drink, fine. Yeah. Two drinks, you will die. <laughs> With him, yeah, like he's knocked out Tintin while he's flying a plane. Absolutely, so he can take over. Yeah, we know that he's basically a dangerous lunatic when he's drinking. And this is uh, probably mm-hmm. the most dangerous he's ever this, been. This is the most. This dangerous is the most lunacy. people he's almost ever killed. With his drunkenness. So he yes. has uh, decided to go for a walk outside of the ship. Yeah. Uh, he's not even tethered to the ship. No, he's not. I don't really know how he's uh, how how this is working. Well, I guess because they are float, they are... Going at the same velocity? Because the ship turns off, so the engine shuts off when he goes outside. Right. So it's not... How do they stop, though? There's a like a kill switch on the door, right? Because remember later on... We'll, no, I we'll get that they got that. a kill switch, but how do you stop? You'd have to have the reverse thrust to, to actual, actually Yeah, so stop. they're not stopped, but he's stepping out. He's going at the same speed as, as them, yeah, right? Yeah, okay, all right. 
The same way if you're in an elevator, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't help you to jump. I'm jump with in this. Okay, so he's, go, he's going out. He's saying uh, he's pretending he's a bird. He's going to go home to Marlin Spike. Yes. And then starts floating away. <laughs> it's horrifying. <laughs> he's being pulled into orbit by uh, the dwarf planet uh, asteroid Adonis. Yeah, that's kind of odd. Yeah. It's not really. Okay, Adonis. Adonis is, is an actual thing. But what's funny is that Calculus recognizes it. Yeah. It was discovered in 1936. So someone kind of glimpsed it in 1936 but it actually wasn't like seen again and actually studied to any degree until 1977 mm-hmm. so that's how it has such a big orbit and so uh and also it does not go between earth and the moon by the way just in case anyone's wondering why why is it there it's not it's never been there it okay. basically kind of goes around between venus mars and well maybe earth, around the office area. they were like i need an asteroid uh that would be around here all right let's look and alphabetically is, adonis good enough there we are. Here's the other crazy thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, there's two objects that both have a gravitational pull. One is Adonis, yeah. which is farther away. The other is the rocket itself. Well, it depends how big Adonis is. What is he closer to? But how big is Adonis? Well, you can see how big it is. It's smaller than the rocket ship. Is it? Yes, you, you're looking at you're looking at them in terms of size of. T- oh, oh, I just thought it was far away. Well, even if it's we far away, never, he's I closer. We were never getting the. But the even if he's side. farther away, he's still closer to the rocket. That's what he's going to be gravitationally attracted to. Is the closer object, the closer Unless, heavy object. Um, well, no. The gravitational force isn't based on the size of something, right? Is it? It's I mean, it's partly a, yeah. based on size, but it's not based on the size. It's also based on proximity. So, yeah, but if the if the size is great enough, then the proximity. It's, okay. All right. Here's how but, you picture it. Here's how you picture it. You got I'm holding a bed sheet out. Yeah. Okay. And I put like a bowling ball down here, and yeah. now that's that's a funnel. Yeah. And now I've got the rocket, and the rocket is a golf ball, and yeah. it's over here, and sure. I'm putting that down there. So yes. But if, if you're, you're closer, closer, you would slide into the rocket. It not depen- to, Well, not it depends. The, like if yeah. the if the golf if the this bowling is not, ball. This isn't big enough to be making a bowling ball. Uh, it's tight, I don't so. know. I I don't know. I can't see anything that gives me a sense of scale on this thing. Because it's always like the rocket's nearby, but it could be the the the, the planet. It's in, it's a dwarf planet. Like a dwarf planet has to be bigger than a rocket ship, right? Has to be a dwarf planet has to have a certain size. It's a dwarf planet. Yes, it is a dwarf. But that's planet. how he describes it. Okay. Yes. Uh, so the other weird thing is that yeah, the asteroid Adonis is a dwarf planet which orbits between Mars and Jupiter. The other thing is is that it's staying beside the rocket ship. Oh, well, let me also tell you this much, Dave. Okay, sure. It's about a mile in diameter. So not that big, really. Compared to the rocket, it's big. It's big, but it's still it's a distance. It's still at a distance, and so I still think the rocket would be more attractive. Attractive in the sense of this gravity. is actually a pretty easy one to solve. Okay. Hey, uh, listeners, uh, I know uh, out there someone knows the answer to this. Okay, probably someone in this room does, but we're not letting them talk right now. Uh, so <laughs> just please write in to sneakydragon.com. That's our uh, website. Let us know the physics of this and if this makes sense or not. Yeah. The other thing is, is that when the rocket the rocket shut off. Mm-hmm. Adonis is floating along beside it. Oh, you mean? Oh, Adon. Okay. So what's? So Adonis is heading towards the moon as well. It's just, it's weird. it's kind of weird. It is. So, uh, but we've got an exciting scene here that we should really get back to. <laughs> okay. Where Tintin is watching his friend float away, mm-hmm. uh, and he does not want to be pulled aboard. Not on your life. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Tintin is uh, getting a, a rope, uh, trying to lasso him ar- around. Uh, and, uh, and he does, he, uh, he hooks his friend around the leg. It's a very exciting scene. What's weird in the magazine version, Wolf is with, Wolf brings the rope mm. and he's standing with, with Tintin. Uh, so actually the scene, the one panel in the bottom is, is, is smaller. It's a smaller panel mm-hmm. so that Wolf can be in the, in the first panel. And so they're standing together and then, yeah, Wolf is holding the rope, not Tintin. Well, the sense of scale that you get on page 10, uh, the top panel is great. 
just seeing Tintin standing on the rock. Oh yeah, with yeah. Uh, with an orbiting uh, haddock going around. That's fantastic. Uh, hooks his leg uh, while uh, while uh, Haddock is singing a roving, a roving. Since roving's been my rune, I'll go no more a roving. Uh, oh, it's just horrifying that he'd like go floating out into space. Poor guy. Uh, now it looks like uh, the ship's going to crash into the asteroid if they don't start off the motor. So you know he better have got him. And if he doesn't. That's the end of uh, Haddock, which yeah. will solve, by the way, some of their oxygen problems. That's true enough. I don't think that's how they want to solve it, though. But if this was a movie, you might go, oh, and you weren't familiar with the characters. Maybe. Uh... See, but they don't have oxygen problems right now. They're aware of the limitations, so they can mm-hmm. make they can make corrections. Right? How do you make corrections? Well, they shorten their stay on the on the moon yeah, in order to so they have true. oxygen to come back. Right. I mean, it's unfortunate that they can't do all the all the research they want to do because of these two idiots who can't tell the time. I but like I like the mild double entendre on uh, on page eleven, top of page eleven. Uh, Cripes, what a jerk! <laughs> Which he's talking about the jerk on the rope. Yeah, but he's yeah. also talking about this jerk on the rope. Uh, he hopes the rope. <laughs> Did doesn't you say crepes or crumbs? Crumbs. Sorry, oh, okay. like crumbs. What a jerk! You're absolutely correct. I just, sorry, I just wondered if it was a difference in the translation. No. So, uh, yep, they uh, bring him in, and for the first time uh, in a long time, mm. uh, we see Tintin really stand up to Haddock. Yeah. Because he's got to. Yeah. Because Haddock uh, is uh, just you wants see, to go home. You see what I noted on the on that section. Yes. I put like. He's had enough of this nonsense. I just like that. I like that Tintin gives him a talking to, because the Haddock needs it. Yeah. Do you realize that all your tomfoolery nearly cost us our lives? Now we've had enough. Get back inside at once and try to behave yourself properly. Do you understand? Now come along, and if I catch you drinking again, I'll clap you in irons for the rest of the trip. Yeah, one thing that we don't have in, in this version is that because Wolf is outside with him when he's talking about using the rope to, to capture Haddock, Wolf tries to tell him no. Because you'll put us all in danger. Haddock is one person. You know, the ship has many. And we could easily, you know, this would endanger all of us doing this. Yeah. And uh, and so in the story, um, uh, he says, uh, what is, calculus is something like, it basically it says, you know, it says it's sheer madness, but I admire you for wanting to try. But in his version, uh, he says, uh, su- he says, for such a folly, but what a, what a uh, majestic folly it would be, he basically says in French. You know, just saying, you know, like, you know, I know this is madness, but this the fact that you would do such a thing, you know, shows what a great, what an honorable person you are, what a great yeah. person you are. Yeah, it's interesting. So we, you don't get that in this version. You, you, I mean, you do get Haddock saying it's dangerous, but or sorry, Calculus saying it's dangerous, but you don't get the sense of uh, debate over, you know, well, should we just let him float off to his, you know, obvious death mm-hmm. in order to save everyone else, or should we take a chance of, you know, well, this is losing a, our lives in order to save one. This person. is a debate that comes around a lot with uh, superheroes and heroes in general, which is, you know, uh, some people will, will pitch a story in the story, or they will do a story in the story. Will be the hero has to do something and to make a compromise, an ethical compromise. And the stories I prefer are the ones where they find a way to do it and do it anyway, and there's not even an option. Like mm-hmm. we're going to save yeah. everybody. Yeah, that's what makes him a hero. Yeah, that's what makes him a hero. And Tintin in this is definitely a hero. And now we turn the page, and uh, now, uh, here we go. We're doing this, is what we're doing. Uh, Haddock notices is a giant uh, uh, fur uh, thing coming down from a ladder. Turns out it's Thompson and Thompson. Yes. If you remember correctly, if you don't remember correctly, this is an odd thing to see. Uh, but uh, they have giant uh, bushy beards and incredibly long hair, uh, looking like Cousin It from the Adams Family. Yeah. Bubbles are coming out of their mouth, and they, uh, they uh, recap that they had some pills once. The, and occasionally the side effects come back that this is what happens to them. Mm-hmm. 
what do you think of this, Dave? What do you think of this part of I the story? I don't like it. Yep, I'm going to second that. But I do, I don't like it, but I love the drawings of it. I have to say, I love the colors. I would buy an, I would buy a, uh, an action figure of them. Yeah. I like, like the, I like the colors. I like how it changes color. And if you could get action, if you could get an action character that the hair changed colors with the change of light and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, or like mood, your mood. Or your mood, yeah. If you held it and it, the, the hair changed from orange to blue or whatever. Yeah, it would make a nice lamp. That would be pretty, or a nice lamp. Yeah, that would be pretty incredible. But in terms of, uh, in terms of story itself, I feel like, eh. Well, when I and there was a sequence that was cut out later in the story, which oh, I like. Tell a lo- me about it. Okay. I like a lot better. Well, well, I'll tell you when we get there. But I liked it actually more than this sequence, and I kind of thought it's too bad that this was this was kept in in favor of that. Uh, well, I guess I, it's a sort of a payoff to which is which happens very briefly at the end of Land of Black Gold. So it's sort of a payoff for it, but I don't know. I mean, when when I was making things up, I don't know, a couple of episodes ago, and we were talking about whether the Thompsons would be on this. And I said, well, what are they going to do? Stow, stow away? I guess the only thing that would happen then is maybe they still got that thing where they grow yeah. green beards and their bubbles are coming out of their mouth. So I guess you could have a scene at the end where they come off the ship and people think they're aliens and we could have a, some comedy relief about that. Yeah. But aside from that, there's no reason they should be on this at all. And they shouldn't be that beard thing anymore. That's long since gone, right? Uh, but here they are. They're bearded. And uh, I don't know, maybe you're a little kid. You love it. You well, go, that's, this that's is funny. Thing. And, yeah, you know, I'm seeing a lot of people walking around in a very sterile environment for an entire story. Mm-hmm. And so here's a big colorful sequence yeah. that has green and orange. With and snowy blue. hanging off their beards and then yeah. beards being pulled. I mean, that's kind of funny for a kid, I guess. And that's, I mean, you know, like a lot of comics, a lot of great comics, they're written for children. And that's mm-hmm. one of the, you know, Hergé's ideal reader was an intelligent child who would laugh at, who would laugh out loud. That's what he wanted. Mm-hmm. He wanted. He didn't talk down to the child. Like this book does not in any way, you know, none of the content is talking down to a child. It's actually asking the child to look to come up to the to the material. Right. But all, at the same time, there's this sort of stuff that is very infantile. Yeah, I mean, and, it's uh, an, a modern example of that is something like you know, uh, you've you've got a lot of uh, films for kids where. There's then jokes that are just, well, that doesn't fit in at all, mm-hmm. but a kid will laugh at it and go, oh, okay. But then you've yeah. got also the Pixar movies yes. where it's all character-based jokes and kids like them as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're jokes that both uh, adults and children can enjoy. Sure. And you go like, yeah, these jokes were all justified. Yeah. And then you get something like, I don't know, like a shark tale or something. And you just go, there's a there's a joke now where they're just, you know, it's a fart joke for no reason. just yeah. comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And you're like, all right. Yeah, it's a thing. Well, and that what feels like, this feels like this kind of comes out yeah. of... A university you work in, The Simpsons, would be another example of that, where you have various levels of, of humor that allow for, you know, different levels of intelligence to Yeah, and it's it a fine line where you can just step out for a second and just go, well, let's just do this because it's funny. Is mm-hmm. there any way to tie it into the story and also connect it? And it's like, nope, well, maybe you'll do it anyway. And they did it anyway, and that's fine. Uh, page 13, got a gorgeous shot here of the moon. Yeah, not in the magazine version, of course, because... Uh, because of space restrictions, because you know you just couldn't. I guess he didn't want. That's I mean, funny even though that in the first space restrictions, huh? yeah. <laughs> even though in the first story, I mean, he had that. It's a one page shot of the of the rocket standing in the gantries. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is pretty spectacular to go from the very. And the other th- thing that's interesting about that kind of works with the beard sequence is how suffocating it is with all the hair and all the color. That is true. And everything, okay. and then you get around to this page, and it's just like boom, there it is, the moon, the rocket heading towards it. It uh, you know really opens up the story at that point. It does. Okay, you know if the deal with with the Thompsons is they're a danger because they're taking up too much space, and now the disease they've got, yeah. the disorder they've got, yeah. you know makes them 
make bubbles go into the air and now they're filling up things with hair. Yeah. I don't know. I, whenever I see them like this, I'm just reminded of the Yellow Submarine film and the When I'm 64 scene where yeah, they all end right. up growing the large beers. Yeah, I yeah. can't help but connect with that. Anyway, the moon the moon looks beautiful. Sure do. All right. That Bob Demore, he could draw. Because that is all Bob Demore. Is it? It has no people. It's all background detail. So it's, it's all the background artist. Nice. So uh, they're going directly uh, towards it. And the captain's like, so uh, now we're going to turn around. What's this latest acrobatic? Why not loop-de-loop or do a roll or go into a spin, thundering typhoons? Well, I'll explain it to you. And, uh, and He's and, explaining it for everyone. That's right. Meanwhile, not meanwhile, but exactly then, a large meteorite starts heading towards them. Yeah. So now we got some danger going on. And a great sequence because... Well, we have the sound effect of the beep, beep, beep going along, or toot, toot, as it is in the French version. And uh, then Haddock, or Calculus starts to explain that there is a an automatic control system so that if something is heading directly towards them, the rocket will automatically pilot ar- around it. And so the only thing now is they're worried, is will it work? And I particularly like, you know, they're saying there, everyone's looking worried. Of course, Haddock, the most worried, he's biting on his fingernails. And then, yes, the rocket works, it actually avoids this object and then calculus you know all oh, the dangers passed i can breathe again i don't mind telling you i, I was very frightened and then of course because we could get smashed to smithereens not only that far more serious i can tell you now if my theories hadn't worked out i'd have to do all my calculations over <laughs> which i did like that because you know it's just yeah. it's a good joke yeah it's a good joke like i think and it's not a dumb joke no that's the calculus that i like yeah it's a guy who's so it's not necessarily absent-minded, but it's so obsessed on one Focused particular on one point. Thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that that works. That works better than beep, mm-hmm. beep, beep. Who's saying peep, peep, peep? Is there a bird in here? Like, yeah. all right, I'm glad we're not so, doing that anymore. So we'll cut from that open, you know, the dark, the shots of space back to the sort of weird suffocating color scheme of, of the, the, and the hairy beards and stuff like that. Although that must have been a lot of fun to draw as mm-hmm. well, because that's, that looks fun. And so we've got, uh, Haddock working madly to try and cut the hair off of, uh, off of Thompson and this is good hair cutting. Like, mm. like the scissors going through the beard. You really feel yeah. the thickness of that beard. Yeah. It's yeah. very nice. And when he says he has calluses on his hands, you you believe it. And so, um, so yeah, he's cutting away. But how can we end up? Oh dear. Sorry, you carry on because I sure, sure, sure. my book's falling apart. You can tell you can tell the Tintin books I've read the most because the pages are falling apart. Absolutely. Okay. So yeah, the colors of the hair are changing, uh, and the Thompsons are each laughing at each other and how ridiculous they look. As of course they look more ridiculous. Uh, and then uh, Haddock goes running up to the professor and says, "Listen, uh, we got to do something for the Thompsons. The hair grows as fast as I can cut it." Okay, but the calculus at this point is like, look. We've had enough of the comedy relief scene. We've got to get back to the main plot line. Shh, Earth's calling us. Uh, Earth-to-moon rocket, you have three minutes to go before uh, the turning operation. Right. And I didn't get the chance to tell you about this maneuver. Uh, what do you think would happen if uh, we go on heading to the moon with our rocket pointing directly at it? Well, we'll end up uh, by arriving, I'll suppose. Yeah, like a missile. And <laughs> you're right. Okay, we got to turn <laughs> this thing around. Yeah. So... We get a sequence where everyone's got to put on their Magna boots. Yes. Uh, and so uh, Haddock does so. He's uh, got them on, except he Just isn't. in time. There's a real rush to get it. So yeah. He's, he's struggling against getting his shoes off. He's done everything but tie the laces. And then just uh, as the gravity uh, goes out, as they do the uh, turn, uh, floating... Don't you think he should be wearing boots, though? I was kind of disappointed to see that he's just wearing shoes. Oh. I feel like Taddock... Sorry, Taddock. I feel like Haddock should be wearing boots and not shoes. Fair enough. I think that Could Snow- just be me. I think Snowy should be wearing something. No one seems to care that Snowy keeps going floating in the air and then falling down really hard on that's, this metal. That's true enough. Yeah. Uh for you know, for people that built a dog-sized 
spacesuit yes. so the dog can walk on the moon. Yeah. Maybe make sure the dog isn't getting smacked around in the ship as much. Yes. Anywho. So uh, Haddock goes floating out of his boots. And now we get a nice little scene. You know, you get a good visual where uh, it's Snowy floating. It's Haddock floating. It's one of the Thompsons floating. Oh, actually, is it two of the Thompsons? It's yes. one of the Thompsons. Is it two? Uh, oh, I guess we just see the we see them both actually. That's oh, they're kind of hanging onto the table though for. Uh, That's right. To keep themselves. So we cut back and forth between the floating and the rocket turning around, and the rocket turning around is a really good scene. What's nice. kind of interesting though is that it wouldn't work the way they've drawn it because there's only it's only uh, firing the the uh, from one side of the rocket, so there's mm-hmm. nothing to stop it from continuing to spin and turn. And it's going into a, a cartwheel for the rest of the tr- the journey. Oh, that's a good point. You need to have a rocket on the other yeah, side. Yeah, counter. To, yeah, to counter that that motion. Yeah. No, yeah. that is a good point. Well, there we go. <laughs> Let's write a letter to the past. That's right. So the gravity comes back on. Snowy falls on his head. Think of Snowy, you jerks. Uh, Captain Haddock falls on his chin. Yeah, that's right. And uh, so they've turned, and now the the landing begins, and we uh, have a quick cut to the villains. Going, well, carry on, my friends. Happy moon landing. <laughs> that evil Steve Allen. Yeah. Uh, if this was a movie, mm-hmm. this would have been a character who went, I'll do this part, but I can only do it shooting one day. <laughs> I, I have to have all my scenes at the same desk, yeah. and I have to just be listening to the radio, and I'll make commentary throughout. Yeah. Well, I'll do it. I'll yeah. be the villain, but sure. that's all I'll do. So this guy, is this su- guy don't move. He's such a famous character actor. Yeah, that t- that energy could only afford him for these these sequences. That's right. This is your Brando. Yeah, he'll only be there for he this. Didn't even he doesn't even know his lines. Nope. They had to write them all down and put them on a piece of paper in front of him. Yeah, ha 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 ha. Yeah, ha ha. I swallowed a bug. By Lucifer. So the uh, the sub villain next to the main older villain. Yes. I say, boss, do you really think they'll land on the moon? Ha ha. He's really enjoying this. Yeah. I'm hoping so. Uh, but whether they come back, that's another story. Mm. I er, uh, don't understand why. Is it shh? Top secret. You'll see later. Ah, uh, here's the radio coming. That's on what again. you call foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. And actually, in the next, the drawing of the next rocket. That's what you call foreshortening. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> no, I like that he's with the other guy. Mm-hmm. There's like shh. I'm not going to tell you. Yeah, why not? Tell yeah. them. You're doing nothing but listening but to Just say it's top secret. Uh-huh. So, you know. Well, then stop revealing the plan then, the, the Mr. Hints. After the after the uh, image of the rocket, there was a sequence that was taken out. And this was uh, Haddock and so and Tintin. Now, Tintin takes over cutting the Thompson's hair because it's just growing out of control. Right. And, so, and then it's Haddock's job to uh, throw it out to, down this garbage chute. And then, and then it gets jettisoned into space. And uh, there's this great shot of all this hair and, and Snowy's laying on it sleeping and the little cute doggy. But when Haddock's collecting it all, he gathers up Snowy and all this hair oh. and throws him down the chute. And it's only him crying out as he's falling down that Tintin's able to leap and grab him as as Haddock holds his, his feet to, to keep Tintin from falling down the chute as well. Oh, wow. And stops him from flying out into space. So, yeah. But that was cut out for space considerations. Okay. Because unlike the first section where... Erge was having to add little sections to stretch it out to 62 pages. This part was a bit longer, so he had to kind of cut back a few parts to uh, to make it fit the album. If I was Snowy, I would have kept a little bit of that hair for every time that I fall when the gravity turns back on. Yeah, just just make a little. uh, Yeah, I like I like that they here. This is so Europe. Is you know we're gonna land on the we're gonna land on the moon, but first we're gonna have a meal. Yes, and it's a fancy meal. They're having yeah. cups of tea. Well, that's what I mean. You it's know? different than the actual astronauts who are eating squeezing pureed food out of plastic. They, I mean, much as you like the ice cream, they're still squeezing this pureed uh, stuff out of the uh, out of a pa- plastic package into their 
mouth and probably didn't taste all that great. Basically, it's baby food. So they're right. eating. But These bit... guys are getting a full on. They got jam on the table. Yeah, they've got toast. That's probably a Nutella, actually. Do you think it's Nutella? It's probably Nutella, yeah. I said Nutella. I meant to say Nutella, but yeah. Sure. Well, the newer version is Nutella. The new version. Well, they have some bread. Yeah. It is Europe. It's either chocolate sprinkles or, or, or Nutella, right? And everyone's getting a hot cup of tea. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Haddock gets one of those in the face because he insults Thompson. Well, well he insults both Thompsons. Yes. Uh, saying that, uh, you know, uh, the, if they need a punch and ju- any pun- two punch and Judy men on the, on the pier, yeah. you'd fit the job perfectly. And I like that it takes a number of panels yeah. before they get, hey, what's, it's kind of weird. Do, we want to, well, you can't insult us. Cause they're talking about the pier. The reason they say the pier is because they're going to be landing by the sea of nectar. So he makes that connection. Right. In, in the original, in French, the crater is, is Cirque. So circus as well. Mm-hmm. So, or circle, Cirque. Uh, and so he cl- says that cl- the clowns at the circus. It's basically what he says. So, because it's this Hipparchus where they're going to land. Uh, and so, yeah. It so works wait, a little better the, in the French. In the original version, then, do they actually think there's a circus down there? No. He's just saying... Okay, but I'm saying here, like in this one, yeah. you know, they're talking about... Uh, okay, so we're going to go to the Sea of Nectar. Yeah. And one of the Thompsons is like, oh, we haven't been to the seaside in a long time. So he thinks it's an actual seaside. Once again, this is crossing the line beyond... <laughs> like, it's beyond stupid that we're like, we're going to the beach. Nah, are you? So if you want to make that joke work with yeah. the circus, if they actually think that there's a circus when they arrive on the moon. Yeah. They, the, the Cirque Park. And then, uh, Thompson says, Le Cirque du Parc, meaning the circus, I guess the park circus or something. And he says, it's been a long time since we went to the circus, hasn't it, Dupont? Okay. Well, I understand Haddock then just has enough of this nonsense. <laughs> He's perfectly within his rights. He is perfectly within his rights. And then, uh, so there he says, uh, don't you think so or whatever? And he goes, of course. Everybody thinks that. Uh, I even learned that they uh, need uh, two clowns. You would, you would be perfect for that job. And so then... Uh, three panels later. Three panels hey! later. Hey! <laughs> well, this is interesting because we've had a couple of these uh, people telling off haddock scenes. Mm-hmm. We've had, in the last one, we've had uh, Calculus. Yeah, the whole goat sequence. not take the yeah. whole, oh, I'm being the goat, eh? And then Tintin giving them a big yell about being drunk and yeah. almost killing everybody. Yes. And now, uh, oh, even uh, Thompson is like uh, flipping out over this kind of I've thing. Had enough of this. But you know what? In this case, Haddock was right. So mm-hmm. the so the the apology is not very <laughs> sincere. Fair enough. So uh, so even to the point where uh, just a little bit later. Uh, even Calculus has had enough of this nonsense. And yeah. he used to be a full-on comedy relief character. Yeah. This guy is like, you know, uh, well, there's a weird thing here where, you know, they're getting ready for the landing and, uh, and Calculus says there's two spare mattresses, spread them out on the floor and lie down. Oh, it's very kind of you, says one of the Thompsons, but we aren't sleepy. No. <laughs> sleepy or not. Uh, I say you're to lie down. That's an order. Do you hear an order? Oh, just had enough of this. Well, you skipped the panel that I love, which is okay. him giving them this speech about, you know, here we are at this momentous occasion, landing on the moon, that there's no time for big, petty bickering between us. And I just love that Haddock's got a tear coming down from his eyes, <laughs> just crying at the speech. 
Well, they all do. He's such an emotional. Tom, uh, oh, yeah, the, they the are too. Well. I like that Thompson's resting his his head on his shoulder. You know. Yeah, and then Dear and friend. then the yelling at them. Oh. Now, here's a, here's the other thing about that. To me, is uh, you brought two spare mattresses along with mm-hmm. you. That's not good space travel. You only bring the stuff that you need. You don't bring a couple of mattresses. Well, you know, they've got this. You new... got an IKEA couch down there too, but, just in case. IKEA. Why would it be IKEA? That's a full-on actual couch, not a cheap knock knock one they have to put put together. All right. It's a full-on actual uh, couch. So we're back in the uh, the beds, uh, and uh, Tintin is calling Earth, uh, saying they're making the final preparations. The professor is now setting the autopilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see a shot of the moon, and and Snowy's joining Tintin on on his bed this time, which is nice. I'm glad to see that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Thompsons are there. They've dressed in their pajamas, <laughs> you know. Uh, so roll your eyes when appropriate. Uh, settle down on the two. Spare mattresses okay. we brought along. You make fun of it, but I'm laughing at it, so I don't know if I'm. I don't know no, if, who's fine. in the wrong. Am I, you're in the wrong, or am I in the wrong? Am I in the wrong to laugh at it? No, no. You can laugh at whatever you want. I guess that's true. <laughs> and uh, so the landing is now uh, going to be in on the next panel. We have another beautiful shot of the moon and the rocket coming down. Nice sense of scale. Uh, and uh, and uh, Tintin saying we're beginning to feel the effects of slackening speed. That would also be a good title for this book, The Effects of Slackening Speed. <laughs> uh, rockets being shaken by, slight, shaken by slight vibrations, lying flat in our bunks, and uh, they're being crushed into our bunks by an intolerable weight. Can't move now. The professor blacked out. I think I think my head will burst my eyes. I'm sure they'll pop out of their sockets. My heart. Oh, my heart. That's pretty pretty harsh. Pretty harsh. Yeah, it's uh, good. I, just, like, I like how the, la- the takeoff and the landing on the moon have a real sense of... Uh risk to them yeah so uh the captain is blacked out oh this is agony the rocket shaking in every rivet it's hope uh, and then and uh snowy is out as well yes and uh and uh ground control that was the dog howling for the dead <laughs> wow harsh yeah that seems kind of Wait, what? He might just be in pain, yeah, guys. His it's crushing agony and eyes. Like, if it's hurting him, like yeah. Tintin, yeah. the dog with his hypersenses, holy cow. Uh, but then the rocket, she lands. Uh, Earth is calling... Uh, By the again, way, beautiful drawing. Beautiful drawing on the top of page 23. Uh, we see a little voice coming from the Earth. Earth to moon rocket. Are you receiving me? Earth to moon rocket. So, yeah. So what's interesting here is where they land is... They talk about landing in the, uh, the Hipparchus crater. It would actually, it's actually, not that it's, it's actually kind of a tricky place to land. It's not where the, where NASA chose to land. Unlike this adventure, unlike this story, when NASA was going to the moon, they sent uh, what's called the Lunar Orbiter to go up and go around the moon and, and like take, uh, readings of where would the best place to be to land. So yeah. they had a sense of the terrain that they were going to be landing in. Basically, this was chosen as a landing place because it's dead center in the visible face of the moon. So if you're looking at the moon, if you look right in the center of the moon, that's where this crater, the Hipparchus okay. crater, would be. That's what you're looking at, and it's quite a it's quite a large crater. Like the the mountains around it are about 1,200 meters high, so it's a big it's a big thing. Uh, now, if you look at it, um, you can see that the length and shadows. Yeah. Of, so that would indicate that it's the start of the lunar day. So they're just the beginning of the lunar day, and so that lasts about 29 Earth days. And now, for that time of that time of the of the year or that time of the month. At time of the lunar day, uh, the Earth would actually be at its zenith, so it shouldn't actually be visible. Mm-hmm. It should actually be like really high up in the sky, out of sight. I was going to ask like why there's no uh, darkness on the Earth, why we're not seeing any shadow on the Earth. And that's the other thing; it should be a half Earth at that time of the year yeah. too. So you should be seeing only half of the Earth lit up, and not on that side. Like you could have a full, right. Earth. you could have a full Earth, just like you have a full moon. 
it just depends where it is in Absolutely, the lunar yeah. in the lunar day. The, uh, this is this is the scene that loses Neil deGrasse Tyson. Is that where right? he just throws his book down? I'm he sure. does. I am sick of this. Well, that's what he does with movies. Is he'll look at the stars in the sky like Titanic yeah. and go, "Those aren't where the no," and then then they'll fix it in the DVD and they'll put the right stars up. That's, what a, that's what they do. What a disappointing life you must have with no, people. No, I think he's fine. I think he's doing quite well. He can't watch movies because I think he does watch movies, and then movies ask him things. I think he's fine. <laughs> uh, we have a nice shot here of uh, not a nice shot, but we're back to the villain. Just reminding you, there's a villain listening on his radio. I guess he would have been a big fan of that uh, that si- that whole science thing that they were trying to bring in. in he France. is a big fan fan of science. No, no, but I mean that whole like restricting what kind of science you could show and. No, he seems to no have a imaginative good, science. No, I think he has a good Can't time with it. No, you should, li- you should listen to his science podcast. Science Hitler. Star Talk. It's a good podcast. Uh, so we're back to the Bye Lucifer fella. Uh, <laughs> Bye Lucifer. Uh, let's hope nothing has happened to them while smoking a cigarette. Uh, so they keep calling. Earth is calling. Earth is calling. Oh, we were really well, worried. He doesn't have much more to do there. He just sits by the radio all day long. Yeah, well, you know, he's a villain. He does villainy things. What if there's a cot nearby for him to sleep in? You know what? Maybe he has a reachful life and we just keep cutting back to the one time that he's by the radio. Yeah. Maybe he goes to some charity work. He's got a <laughs> wife and kids. That's right. You know? Rich social life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, the ground supporter of Greenpeace. Yes. Ground control. I'll kill those whales myself. <laughs> uh, so, uh, ground control is uh, listening, worried, and finally here, moon rocket to earth, uh, receiving you loud and clear. They're alive. That's good. Everyone's so happy. That's right. So it's uh it's calculus uh calling them saying we got there safe and sound. We couldn't get through to you before. The radio was damaged. It must have been the vibrations that shook the rocket. And so they're all very very pleased. And then we we see that uh Thompson and Thompson are both like sound asleep. Yes. <laughs> well they were in their pajamas. It's yeah. Pretty you natural. Know what? That's the thing with kids. They say they're not tired. They don't <laughs> want to go to bed, but once they're there, try and wake them up. You can't. <laughs> so true. I posted that on Facebook the other day. Did you? No. <laughs> Interesting here is that well, so calculus tells them that they've decided they've ele- decided to they've elected they voted and they've decided to allow the youngest person to be the first one to step on the moon because he would never have another chance unlike the rest of them you know who have the rest of their lives ahead of them you know it's obvious he could be the who first one. would well who else would you choose no I'm just sorry he's their obvious choice obvious choice because yes. uh, you got Haddock yeah he no. almost killed everybody no no doesn't want to do it don't you're not going to let Thompson and Thompson no do they'd it. fall down fall down the ladder to Wolf death. he's not a developed character I don't know what his <laughs> deal is Snowy he can't let a dog be the first thing on the moon no and Calculus needs to stay on board yeah. to make sure things are running he's a scientist Tintin's your only choice so Tintin is uh, standing in front of the door they're opening the doors up and he says it's a solemn moment the outside door is swinging slowly on its hinges and then it cuts to Baxter and the unnamed radio operator hearing Tintin say, oh, and we don't know what happened. Because actually in the magazine version, this was the final panel for the page. So because there's been some rejigging in order to allow for bigger panels and stuff like that, this is the natural cliffhanger on the page. But because it had to get kind of moved around a little bit, we actually end up with a different, uh, we end up with no cliffhanger for this page, actually, because it's just uh, Tintin standing in the doorway describing what he's seeing. But it's very true. I mean, what he's describing is... uh, actually what the moonscape would be like yeah. and it's very accurate um like and neil, even neil degrasse titan would tyson sorry would pick up his mm-hmm. book again and continue reading after he realized this how clear and and, and correct this, this you know and i don't think I, he should, legitimate... I don't think he should get so mad about it because this is all speculative and so uh-huh. if some of it's wrong mm-hmm. you know it's he, it's i'm just making up i can't believe that he threw this book down <laughs> and, and just walked away from it i'm a little upset with i him. know it would be as broken up as that book that you're looking at right <laughs> now that keeps falling to pieces <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tintin. 
And so he says, uh, I am so sorry you don't do title cards for this. I would love to see a drawing of Neil deGrasse Tintin. <laughs> so it's, uh, he says, it's a nightmare land, a place of death, horrifying in its desolation. Not a tree, not a flower, not a blade of grass, not a bird, not a sound, not a cloud. In the inky black sky, there are thousands of stars, but they are motionless, frozen. They don't twinkle in the way that they that makes them look so alive to us on Earth, which is true. This is exactly what you would see in space, mm-hmm. exactly what the astronauts found when they got there. So that's really good. I mean, yeah. he's taking... Tintin, you're bumming us out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. What about the one... But on the lighter side, <laughs> Tintin, maybe we should have picked someone else. Haddock. Oh, it's nice. <laughs> um, it's... Uh... But it's true. I mean, he's giving this moment to kind of throw in some science facts. This, yeah. is, this is what you would actually see in this place. It is not. It is very poetic. You know, it's not full of. It's not full of vibrant life. This is a dead planet. And let me just you know, say, like Tintin satellite. is a writer. You know, so this yeah, is a very right. writerly way of We've describing. We've established him. that he's the reporter that actually never writes any stories. Although I think he does do features. I'm pretty sure he's going to cover this story yes. as being the first person who landed on the moon. Yes, he'll be writing a, a Sunday magazine feature on this. <laughs> Probably a couple. He's a feature writer. They're probably going to cover this for a while. For a while, a few few series. Yeah. Uh, and, but let's just say, wonderful drawings. This is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And uh, uh, then, yeah, this is it. I've walked a few uh, a few steps for the first time in the history of mankind. There is an explorer on the moon. There's been a few great comic artists who have who have drawn the moon. Uh, obviously, Bob Demore, based on what t- based on Hergé's drawings so let's give it to Hergé he's ba- you know Bob Demore is just doing what Hergé told him to draw but but Bob Demore slash Hergé uh Wally Wood in the Eisner going to the moon that's fantastic you mean that when the spirit goes to the oh moon. sorry yeah when spirit goes to the moon Eisner didn't go <laughs> spirit went and then uh Gerhard's drawings for for uh Cerebus for Cerebus yeah those are fantastic as well and those guys had the advantage of the actually someone had gone to the moon though not not I don't think Wally Wood did but uh nope, not yet but but uh, Gerard had the advantage of actually having photographs of the actual moon, whereas these guys are just basing them off drawings by Chesley Bonestell and on the science of the time that what what was uh, what would look what would it look like what would this dead place look like? It's a really yeah the 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 shot of uh, Tintin on the moon and just that sense of space around him yeah it's great yeah it's a very it's a beautifully put together like the whole page is fantastic mm-hmm. him just descending down the ladder yeah the shot looking looking down on the rocket. That mission control worried, and then just the beauty shot of then the him big, walking. Yeah. yeah, so you get that sense of yeah, because you, you're right. You get the closed-in shot of him going down the, the ladder. So it's very, you know, when you're going on a ladder, you feel very closed in because you you only have that space to move in. And then we have that shot going down the whole rocket, looking down on the ground. So you get this above shot, very cinematic shot of up above, and then and then back to the close confines of the mission control. And then it opens out into that huge shot of the moon with a spaceship right. sitting there. And it's so beautiful and so solemn that let's bring some comedy relief into it. Here comes the captain down the ladder yeah. and uh, does some jumps. But I don't think that's comedy relief. He's He doesn't know about this. This is the first time he's been to the moon, by the way. That is true. And so he jumped. And this was, once again, this was the final panel uh, in the magazine version was him jumping and, be- and going, what? Mm-hmm. Because, you know what? A lot of people reading this at the time didn't know that the that the uh, gravity of the yeah, moon was Yeah, that's the nice less... thing to see that. Yeah. Like, I expected them to start playing golf any second. No, I don't think it's comedy relief as in they're dumb guys. Yeah. But it's comedy relief as in, like, the captain isn't going to be going, the desolation. It makes you reflect <laughs> on the humanity that's of... True he's just, look at me jump! Yeah. Wee! You know, so... And then, of course, you bring Snowy down, and now we're all just having a good time on the moon. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty good. Uh, like, Snowy is jumping, going, golly, now I've taken off like a dragonfly. 
having uh, a good time. And then in terms of compressing the story a little bit, there were more panels of, Sno- of Snowy being lowered and him making a little uh, ironical comment as he's being dropped down. And then, but he basically repeats it when he gets down to the bottom and says, that's, that's what you think when uh, Tintin says, uh, uh, there was no need to get so excited, you know. And so it's basically the same uh, comment. So I can see why Tintin, or Tintin, I can see why Tintin, who was drawing the book in the form of Hergé, took that out. Yeah, and I like Snowy just going to stretch his legs. You know, one time in this podcast, we're at 17, I believe now, I'm one day going to say Hergé's name without calling him Tintin. <laughs> I swear. We're going to get there, folks. We're going to get there. I'm going to get out. Okay. I don't know if it'll happen. It's all right. Uh, to be, this is actually, this is a good, uh, issue to be looking at right now where we are, uh, because the air quality has gotten terrible, uh, around us. So when people are talking about not being able to breathe properly, there's mm-hmm. a lot of forest fires in the area right mm-hmm. now. And the sun is, is, is red. Yes. The red is a tomato. So we're feeling very yeah. space right now too. Yeah. Everything Tintin's saying. It's like we're living in Victorian England, breathing all the coal smoke fog. Yes. Uh, yeah. We'll be doing our Victorian England podcast after this. Of course. So, uh, so the captain goes, what happened? Was that? an earthquake a moonquake more likely says tintin and the captain goes yeah 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 yeah. i get it uh and then but uh great snakes look there what in the world's that a meteorite look a meteorite it's just fallen on the exact spot where we were a moment ago and exploded what but i didn't okay, hear a sound here, here's the thing if that actually happened they would both be dead because mm. the shrapnel flying from the, the, the all the shards of of the meteorite would of course have cut right through them it's actually a pretty rare event a meteorite falling on the moon Surprisingly rare. Well, Despite its surface, it doesn't happen as well. Well, that's as you what killed the moon dinosaurs. Yes, exactly. It's a well known fact. That's just science. Neil deGrasse Tyson is so mad at you. And talk and he just threw the he just threw our podcast on the ground. But this is give Tintin a, a chance to explain that there's no air on the moon, so there's no noise. That's why the, the meteorite came down intact too. Back on home, the friction of the atmosphere would have made it uh, white hot. So there, there's a little bit of science for you. And there you go. It's true. Nice. Except for the fact that they're alive. <laughs> yeah, very good. And so we got calculus down there now with him as well. He gets shown the meteorite. He thinks it's marvelous. Uh, and it's like, what do you expect? It's an occupational hazard. Eh, what are you going to do? And uh, and so, you know, a little bit of banter back and forth. And uh, and now they're calling to uh, Wolf in the uh, rocket ship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what's happening right now? The ladder, the door. Yeah. Let's turn the page. <laughs> the ladder has been uh, brought up. And uh, the door is closed, which is kind of a scary moment if you're standing on the surface of the moon. Yeah, and everyone's calling, hey, Wolf, Wolf, what's, uh, they're crying wolf yeah, right now. Yeah, that's, I, sorry we're going there. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Okay, good for you. I didn't even see where I was going. <laughs> uh, but, well, no, but no, I liked wolf, it. Wolf just made a mistake. Yeah. Well, I'm terribly sorry. Uh, just stupid. Uh, it was wrong. I'm so sorry about that. Yeah. So, uh, now we get into a little bit of work. We're going to be uh, discharging the cargo. Everything's going smoothly. Smoothly. Uh, so, uh, they're un- unloading cargo, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, we'll soon have finished, says, uh, Calculus, but we've still got to unload, uh, the reconnaissance tank. Yeah. And, uh, just then, something starts falling, uh, Tintin pushes Calculus out of the way, and, uh, one of the crates, uh, falls nearby. Uh, Calculus does not know why this yeah. is, uh, Tintin has pushed him, and is, uh, not li- like any shenanigans. Not only that, but he uses such a strange idiom. Mind out, he says as he pushes him. Yeah, heavens, mind out. Yeah, so odd. I never, never used it myself. No, maybe they just use it on the moon. <laughs> moon out. <laughs> so, uh, so Calculus uh, agrees it was the right thing to do to push him. Um, it looks like the wires that were lowering the crate, uh, it's been, it's been worn by friction. Well, it must have been caused by the vibrations, uh, to the rocket towards the ends of the journey. Or was it? Dun, dun, dun. 
So, uh, Captain's, you know, now going to double down on being sure uh, that everything's going on. Yeah. Uh, I say, Wolf, we're going to carry on by Christopher. Wolf, Wolf, what's the what's the matter? Uh, but Wolf's feeling dizzy. Doesn't feel great. Maybe it's his heart. Uh, uh, yeah, I, it'll go. I, I feel better already. And, well, it looks like Wolf's having some issues. There we are. Yes. And now this just seems like a bad idea. Uh, Thompson <laughs> well, particularly and Tom- with their condition. What if they start growing their hair? Yeah, they'll be suffocated. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, wait a second. Okay, go on. Uh, so the Thompson and Thompson are now walking on the moon. Yeah. Oops. Yes. I mean, you can't not do that, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they see a... Sorry, everybody, for that. I hit the microphone. That's fair enough. Uh, I didn't hear the sound, because sound does not travel uh, through a podcast. It doesn't travel. It's like the moon. Yeah. There's no air in this room. So uh, they come to a crevasse. Uh, one of them realizes they can jump over the crevasse. Mm-hmm. You know, that'd be an interesting question to go, which is smarter, Thompson or Thompson? Yeah? Yeah, I wonder which one. I say Thompson. I think they alternate. So, uh, <laughs> I say Thompson. So now they realize... I say Dupont. <laughs> now they realize they can they can jump. They're so happy. Uh, like, I had an idea. Hold my hand. We're going to dance a little ballet. A ballet? All right, if you want to. And off they go, dancing a little ballet on the moon, having a good laugh. Yeah, I enjoy their laughter. That's right. Oh, come on. Be serious. Supposing people saw us. Uh, people look we're look we're uh you talk as if we're in a busy street but there aren't any people on the moon my poor friend and how do they know there's no one here if no one's ever been philosophy yes for dummies but then they see some tracks Mm -hmm. and now we get into the old story of uh you know where are those tracks coming from i think we've been here before yeah this is a bit different and i I enjoy the sequence. Okay, well, I'll throw it over to you then. Okay, because I just enjoy the... Okay, we'll just say. So they uh, find... See what I tell you? Footsteps. There's someone else in the, besides us on the moon. So they realize they've just discovered these footsteps. They have to call the rocket ship to tell them this. Hello, this is Thompson with a P as in Percival calling Moon Rocket. Moon Rocket here. Calculus speaking. We are receiving you. Thompson calling. We've made a sensational discovery. Sensational, do you hear? Listen to this. There are people on the moon. <laughs> Calculus, of course. What sort of fairy tale is that? People... Other people? Nonsense. But there are. We've discovered footsteps. Footsteps, but great sunspots are obviously footsteps made by one of us. They can't be made by one of us. There are two sets of footsteps. Quite right. Just, I just think it's brilliant. It goes on from there. I don't want to do the whole sequence. But, <laughs> okay. Uh, I just, I love Haddock getting involved in it and yelling. And uh, somebody says, alone, you are alone, all right, in a class by yourselves. I just love it. I love it so much. And then immediately after that speech that he gives, this is the, the uh, section that I kind of like. So it goes like this. So the Thompsons, you know, this is not the end of it. Like here in this this sequence, after they discover their, their own footsteps, they are called back to the spaceship. But in the magazine version, they decide they're going to keep on walking. So it has a bit of them walking around. And then they get lost. They don't know who they are. They radio in and say, we don't know where we are. Haddock says, you only have 20 minutes of oxygen left. So we're going to come out and find you. So Tintin and Haddock head out to try and find them. So when they find them, they're just about... One of them, one of the Thompsons, just at the end of their, their oxygen supply. So they're attempting to remove their helmets in order to breathe better. Tintin stops them, yeah. fortunately. Yeah. Blocks them in the bridge, <laughs> brig, because they're too dumb <laughs> to survive on their own. That's right. So uh, he gives them, so he stops into them. He gives them an extra canister of oxygen uh-huh. to the one who is running out. But the mixture's wrong. So he goes a bit kooky. He goes a bit uh, even more infantile than they already are. He steals. It'd be funny if he becomes incredibly smart. And the problem be, is, he be. needs just this mix of oxygen to actually have his brain work right. <laughs> he steals Tintin's gun. Oh, for crying out loud. An actual gun, not a space gun, an actual Colt 45. Or Why whatever. did Tintin have a gun with him? Just in case. Of what? I don't know. 
Space burglars? Space burglars. Space muggers? Space muggers. Yeah, you never know what you might meet. Space bear? They don't know. I mean, Hergé did not stoop to including uh, some sort of moon animal, but okay. they don't know. All right. They don't know what they're going to sure. find. So he has his gun. So uh, so then he's running around with his gun, and he's going to shoot Tintin with it. Uh-huh. Uh, fortunately, Tintin tricks him with the old safety trick, saying, you know, the safety's on. And then he's like, well, where, where, where is it located? And he says, well, give it to me and I'll show you. Then he takes the gun away from him. And then Haddock comes and he adjusts the mixture in. And then he's able to return back to, to his norm, normal state of an imbecile rather than a dangerous imbecile. And uh, then uh, basically they are made to return to the... Uh, then they sensibly leave the two of them on the moon and leave. <laughs> <laughs> Here's where you belong. Uh, yeah, no, they, are, they go back to the rocket ship. I'm just going to say real quick. Uh, but I prefer that sequence to the hair thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's, a bit more exciting and, and it weird. is, and and not crazy bananas. Uh, well, I don't like like on sorry on page thirty one where it's like this is Thompson with a P as in Percival. No, yeah. Thompson is a P as in psoriasis. Yeah, that's a later joke. So you have to remember you have to you have to judge right. these by when they were backwards and we're in a time loop. And, when they were when they were uh, okay, translated. These are fine. some of the very first translated works after Secret of the Unif- Unicorn. Okay, uh, Prisoner of the Sun. Those, well, and if then anyone this. retranslates these, just fix that, okay? It's an easy fix. <laughs> All right. So we're a few minutes later and getting the whole plan uh, plan from uh, Calculus saying that the original plan was to stay on the moon for a whole uh, lunar day. Uh, that's equivalent to 14 terrestrial days, but our oxygen supplies were intended for four people and one dog. Just so they say 14. Uh, I'm pretty sure that it's 29, but I could be wrong. I, I, I okay. Know. I don't know everything. You're no Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm no Neil deGrasse Tintin. Uh, and not for six people, which is our present number. So we'll have to restrict our stay to six days. Uh, and then we must, therefore, hasten our work. While yes. Wolf and I set up the observational instruments, Tintin and the captain will unload the components of the reconnaissance tank and assemble it. Is that agreed? Right then, gentlemen. Let's get to work. That doesn't seem like an easy job. Nope. Putting a tank, building a tank on the moon. Yeah, we don't have a lot of time, so let's... Build a tank on the moon. Now, I'm not familiar with the Apollo mission and what and their equipment. So I they just, did not build a tank. They on didn't the build moon. a tank. They did have their like dune buggy thing. True. Uh, but I don't think they made it. I think it was probably packed as it was. Let's put the wheels. Once on. again, many people out there know. Yeah, the they sure guys know it. Or I could, uh, please or I could look it up know. on Wiki. What's interesting? But the one interesting thing about this mission is their first priority is the uh, doing the. Uh, getting the telescopes out and, and taking readings of like uh, cosmic radiation and stuff like that. What's interesting is that the first priority of the moon landing, the, the actual moon landing, the Apollo landing, was rocks. That's the very first thing they collected. As soon as Neil Armstrong stepped onto the moon and said his famous words, mm-hmm. he bent down and picked up some rocks and put them in his pocket. Yep. The his famous space words, of, spaceship, I'm where Tintin was once. That's right. The spacesuit equivalent of his pocket, he put the rocks in there. That's the very first thing he did. Whereas these guys, their first, and it's natural, their first priority would be setting up. Their only problem is, is where they set up is wrong because they're setting up right in full view of the Earth. Which on the moon would be fifty times brighter than, than oh, the moon yeah, would yeah. be for us. Okay. So it actually would like make it really hard to to see anything and to get any correct, correct readings. They would actually have to go like to the dark side of the moon or far side of the moon, right? And and take readings there. So uh, while all this is going along, we once again have it's like every time we cut back to this villain, he's doing something like smoking or drinking, just so you know he's a bad guy. Yeah, he's, uh, he's like, basically haddock. Yeah, you know, they're making observations. He's like, observe away, my friends. You do that. Your discoveries will be vastly interesting. Pause to us in all caps. <laughs> <laughs> he enjoys a good laugh. He is listening to the radio. He is a great. Uh, and what and what's great about the next sequence is that it's scientific 
and slapsticky at the same time. Yeah, it's uh, the tank is really nice. It's a lot of fun. Uh, again, in the land of action figures, I could go for one of these moon tanks. Mm-hmm. I'm sure be- there are moon tanks. I'm yeah. sure there have been moon tanks, and I'm sure they had an actual model of a tank that they used to. Uh, to, to do to draw the sequence and they have some good leg- legitimate shtick here and mm-hmm. then tintin's driving the tank yeah uh and in a, a herky-jerky manner in a herky-jerky manner which means haddock keeps smashing his face and uh, into the glass and then at the back of his head yeah uh, and it's it's justified it's a kind of slapstick that's justified yeah uh now tintin not being able to see where oh does this and this also something i like when you're doing slapstick throw a little danger into it that's yeah. legit which is it knocks the headset out so now the captain can't talk to tintin yeah. and can't say to tintin we're about to go over a cliff yes and it's a it's a really nice uh cliff it's a good looking cliff but those, it looks lethal those air rocks yeah gotta give them to him they yeah. almost uh, drive over it he yeah. uh, tintin sees it just in time then they uh, put on their uh, helmets. Well, this is the next day. So next day, yeah. So we have because we have the we haven't really talked about it because it's just the uh, exposition dump. But uh, Calculus's diary makes a break in between uh, sequences, so we know that this is a scientific expedition that everything's being recorded and that you know that some time has passed between the sequences as well. So, right. So this is a few days later. They're back in the tank, and yes, we've taken Haddock's recommendation. Everyone's wearing the helmets except Haddock takes his off because he gets hot. Yeah, and immediately smashes his face right into the glass. He only has himself to blame. Uh, they spot a cave and mm-hmm. go spelunking. And yes, there are caves on the moon, so that yeah. is accurate. Lunar uh, spelology, is that how you say Let's it? Let's call it spelunking, you got it right. All right. Uh, so they go walking uh, walking through uh, space caves. That actually really seems cool. Stalagmites, stalactites. Would not exist on the moon. Uh, but in this case, it says that proves that at some period there was water on the moon. Wouldn't uh, be there. Wouldn't be there, but... Uh, since then, we've kind of learned that there ha- there was water on the moon. But you still, there's not been water in that way. Yeah. So you wouldn't have, dr- it's too cold to have dripping water. So it, uh, it wouldn't work. And it's too, and it, the, the amount of sun that you get, it would just dry it out right away. So you wouldn't, okay. you wouldn't have like that kind of formation of, of like calcite formations. Just wouldn't, wouldn't, ha- wouldn't work that way. Okay. The ice, it's there. It's true. This was a big, this is a pro, like we can, let's, we'll get to the ice and we'll talk sure, about the sure. ice when we get there then. Cause All uh, right. I've already blown it with the ice, but. <laughs> Yeah, he really blew it. Yeah. We might as well just end the podcast uh, series I spoiled, now. I spoiled our spoilers. So uh, so Snowy uh, uh, go, takes a fall. Yeah, goes, into a, a goes ahead of them and, and doesn't see. Uh, Tintin goes after uh, after Snowy. Very, very dangerous. Uh, slides on some ice. Well, runs Snowy, into Snowy. That's one problem with Snowy's suit is he does not have the uh, chest the chest light that the others have. To, well, it would just see. shine on the ground. Yeah, but they could, put some, they could put on top of his helmet. Dang, that they could that. do. That they could do. They could put on top of his helmet so then he I could think see. It's enough that they brought the dog at all. Well, it should be more pampered. That's what I'm saying. So, bottom of the ice. Uh, Snowy and they Tintin run into suit, each space other. Space suit made of gold. That's right. Uh, they're trying to find their way back up, but they can't. The slip, slippery. Uh, they're yeah, have that's to... great. So, yeah, he finds the ice. So, this was put in. Actually, Hergé was doubtful that there was ice on the moon. He didn't think there was ice. It was, it was Hoevelman, his friend, who insisted, absolutely insisted that there be ice. There should be ice there, and so he he made uh, Erge keep the ice in 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 uh, on the moon. And yes, it's true there is some ice on the moon, not in this shape, not like big sheets of ice. Right. The ice that's on the moon is like very small particles of ice that are like on the the two polar extremes where it's like two hundred below. So again, we'll you give you ice. a C plus for uh, ice on the moon. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so Tintin uh, breaks off a piece of ice and is using it uh, to chip away to climb uh, higher and higher. Uh, eventually, that's you know, cleverly done. Very cleverly done. A few minutes later, he gets there. Now we're uh, now we're running out of oxygen, though. 
you know, I, I like the magazine version of this sequence. It's actually a bit more interesting because what happens is they get up, they get up to the, and they get there and the rope is hanging there. So Haddock's already anticipated Tintin getting up and he's got the rope hanging there, which makes sense. And so then Tintin goes to try and tie it onto Snowy and they slip and they fall down the ice sheet again. Oh. Okay. And he takes the rope with him and pulls it out of, out of Haddock's hand. So now there's no rope. So he gets back up and they're trying, he's trying to like toss it up into this, but it's impossible, right? And so he's just like, well, this is it. Like, and he's, and he's trying to call Haddock, but his, his radio's gone out with the second fall. So he can't actually hear Haddock or, or contact terrible Haddock. terrible radios. They knock out with one like yeah. hit. Yeah. Well, he fell twice. Let's be fair. All right. Two so hits. two hits. And so then, uh, so then he, uh, he's, call, you know, he's trying to like throw this rope up and it's, and then suddenly a rope drops down, another rope drops down and it has a rock on it. So Haddock was clever enough to go back to this tank, get another rope, bring it back and drop it down. And so then, then, um, Tintin ties it around Snowy and Snowy gets pulled up and, uh, and Haddock says, brave boy, he saved his dog first. And so then, then he goes to drop it down. Then you get the sequence where the rock is hitting the ledge. And so then we carry on with, with the rest of the sequence. But I kind of like that sequence. It, it does add, and it makes sense of now the, now his oxygen's running out. Cause not only, it's one thing for Haddock. Haddock's just standing up there waiting. So he's not deep breathing, but Tintin has twice had to climb up this yeah. sheet of rock, uh, you know, chipping his way up it. So he's out of breath. He's breathing through, he's running through his oxygen supply. And so then we get the sequence where, where Haddock is trying to drop the, the rope down to him and he's hitting the ledge and it's getting stuck and he has to try it a couple times to finally get it. And so by the time he gets down there, you know, um, Tintin is pretty low on oxygen. And so then we get to the scene where Wolf sees him coming out of the caves and uh, Tintin is, is slumped over, you know, needs, needs oxygen. Fortunately, they're in the tank and everything's okay. So uh, Cacalus hears that they're saved, uh, grabs uh, Thompson and Thompson, hugs them hard, smashing their faces together. Yeah. Interestingly enough, their hair's back to normal. Oh, that's true. That is true. Uh, so uh, the tank calls the base. Uh, the captain and Tintin are on board. Uh, the captain's taken over command as yeah, this Tintin. this is some hours later. That's right. Oh, I was actually doing the thing right before some hours later. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Anyway, let's go to some hours later. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, ahead. the tank's back. It's uh, like I'm on the moon surface. I just leapt far ahead. Sure, of sure, time. sure. Uh, so, uh, so our aim, they're talking about their aim, which is to do a more careful survey of caves discovered by Tintin. They may, uh, contain rich deposits of uranium or radium. Uh, back to the villain. Uh, haha! I have a feeling that Operation Ulysses is entering a decisive phase. We're going to have some fun. Should have had a ha ha ha. Shouldn't have been that. called Operation Troy. Um, or Operation... No, who was the uh, leader of... Anyway, it doesn't matter. You don't like the Ulysses, though? No, it doesn't make any sense. All right. Because... Anyway. Well, I'll, because, well, I'll kind of jump... You know, it's a Trojan horse, right? And it's a... Someone's hidden on the... Uh, aboard true. The, that the is rocket, true. So it's more like a Trojan horse. Okay. Than like Ulysses. I'll give you that. You know, unless he's cleaning the stables while he's on the ship. He's been spending all his time cleaning out the stables. Then I can see it as a Operation... We've gotten off topic. Mm-hmm. We're going to get back onto okay. it right now. Okay. Uh, but that was totally on topic. <laughs> it was. You're right. Yeah. So, okay. Now we're a few minutes later, and the tank is calling the base. They're leaving now. Uh, and uh, good hunting there, wished. Uh, Cacla says, uh, don't worry, Tintin. We'll be back in 48 hours. Uh, and uh, Captain, I don't know why by thunder, but something tells me it would be wiser to turn back. He's been saying that since they left I know. Earth. He's not happy, period. He's you, could think that's foresh- you could think that's foreshadowing. But he's been saying that the whole time, so yeah. it's really just him he's repeating just himself. He's just a grumpy guess. Is he's what just he a is. grumpy. So grumpy we coward. see Tintin j- repairing the uh, the radios in the spacesuits mm-hmm. and enjoying himself. He's whistling a little song. Yeah. What do you How think many, he's whistling? Uh, let's see. 
I have no idea. <laughs> Do you know? Uh, Elvis Costello's song Radio Radio? Yes, that's exactly what it was. He, that was Hergé had predicted Elvis <laughs> Costello's song Radio Radio. So uh, so Wolf is saying it's time for a meal. He's, he's so accurate go, in his predictions He's going to go down to the stores to find something for lunch. Uh, and uh, Snowy agrees. That's a good idea. I'm, uh, I'm uh, tired of waiting. Uh, Wolf's like, no, you don't have to come with me, even though Tintin volunteers. It's like, hmm, that's right. And at this point, uh, Tintin starts getting suspicious. I think he would. The guy's sweating like a, like he just ran a marathon. Yeah, it's strange how Wolf He's is sweating altered. more than we are. At first, in the center of uh, Sparage, he was smiling and happy. He's not the same man at all now, so what could have changed him? And Snowy says, I never cared for him much, and I've got a good nose. <laughs> a few minutes later, uh, it comes up. There, I found all we need. Uh, and, uh, oh no, I forgot to bring some tin milk. I'll have to go down to the stores again. Certainly not, says Tintin. It's, uh, it's my turn to go. Oh, okay, it's very kind of you. Tintin goes down, and, uh, Still Wolf whistling, Wolf. still whistling Radio Radio by Elvis Costello. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and then, a uh, very nervous, uh, Wolf is saying, uh, he's going down. It's too late to do anything. Now he's at the bottom. He's going to the hold. And, uh, Tintin gets his customary whack on the noodle. <laughs> and who's doing yes. the whack in here, Dave? So we find it's Colonel Jorgen or Jorgen. I don't know which. I don't know. I don't know what the J is there. And we learned uh, that uh, Wolf and him are in cahoots. Yes. But he's not very happy at the uh, at the violence. No, he's yeah. a he's a milk toast character. Yeah, he's very weird. He's very worried. He hit him too hard, and uh, and now we get a little bit of the plan. Yes. So now we discover that uh, the plan is for them to steal a rocket. They're going to leave. The rest of the crew on the the, the uh, surface of the moon, and they're going to take off. And, and uh, uh, Snowy uh, discovers discovers this, and also gets knocked unconscious. We don't, we don't see that. It's interesting. We don't see the blow this time. We saw uh, we saw Mueller hit him in the desert sequence in, in Land of Black Gold, but we don't see it here. We do get the horrible image of him just sort of uh, sliding, you know, just sort of sliding uh, Snowy through the through the uh, port. I guess it's a port, not a porthole, but through the. What would you call that? Yeah, you're right. It's, it's well, it's not a porthole, but it's like a, a hole leading from one section of the ship yeah, to the other through the lock, I guess, through the sure. airlock. And, and he's, he's he falls down to the ground below. Poor Snowy, we all say. And so now he's uh, so that's that, my friend. You're going to cook me a nice meal, nice hot meal. Yeah, a nice hot meal for eight days. I've been living on dry sandwiches, so he's going to enjoy himself. He sits down. He's he's. Uh, Laughing at the idea of leaving them on the moon. Yeah, that's a villain, all right. This Just like, a... I'm not going to have any sandwiches. Yeah, he's You're a... lucky to get sandwiches in space. Very lucky. He seems to have descended and or accelerated his evil. I mean, before he was just wanting to take over, turn a country over to the Nazis. Now he's uh, wants to uh, eat leave people on the ship. Eat steal a ship. Eat sandwiches and steal a ship. Which is worse, the sandwiches or the ship? We're not sure. Uh, but suddenly, unexpectedly, the tank returns because they're having the motor batteries are flat. So probably a short circuit. And so the captain is connecting the emergency batteries and they're on their way back. So forget the meal. Now we have to get to work. Yeah. Jorgen wants uh, them to take off, but can't, they can't. The motor has to be prepared for at least a half an hour. Yeah, I'm sure it has to warm up. So uh, That's right. Fool, why couldn't you have remembered that sooner? I was making you a hot meal. Exactly. To be fair, the hot meal was... I got a was, souffle in the oven. It was just porridge. It's hot. Uh, but Tintin comes to and thinks, Crumbs, what am I doing here? And then he, he doesn't know what happened to him because he didn't see Wolf. But he knows that he's tied up. He's calling. He's trying. Or he didn't see uh, Jorgen, so he's trying to call. He's probably trying to call the wolf, not realizing yeah. that wolf is in cahoots with Jorgen. The tank is returning, trying to get there, uh, trying to radio them. And we have a nice sequence here because uh, we get the cut between the tank and Jorgen and Wolf, who are laying on the bunks, w- ready for takeoff. And so we get this uh, 
you know, we're of course wanting the, the, the tank to get back to the ship before they can take off. And of course, Jorgen wants them to take off before, before the, the tank gets back. And so we're getting this back and forth as they're waiting. And then just as the tank is approaching the ship, it starts to, smoke starts to, to come up from underneath it. Mm-hmm. They're starting to take off. Really beautiful, by the way, shot of, uh, the o- overhead in the room with all the mattresses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Real yeah. nice. You really get a good sense of that mm-hmm. room. Well, we talked about the fact the pacing that pacing is really good on that page. We talked about, yeah, it's super good pacing. And we talked about how the ship could be taken apart. So that uh, Bob Demur, as he was drawing it, could look at each section as he was drawing it. So if he needed to draw it from this angle, he could remove a bit of the wall right. and look right at it. If it was a different, he could put that bit of that bit of the wall back and remove a different part of the wall, and he, so he could see exactly how all, it all worked together. So yeah, it's interesting. So I guess it was probably you could take the lid off of the you know take the floors right. apart and look right down into the into the section. Nice. And so yeah, you get that. And I think it's also a really nice picture the the ship taking off all the smoke around the bottom of it and the people in the, in yeah, the tank really in the foreground. Really scary the idea of like you're driving the tank and you see the rocket taking yeah. off. Yeah. But then suddenly the the launch is aborted and the the rocket goes crashing down to the ground almost tipping over but Yeah, if it tips over it managed to right itself. Yeah. I guess because of those heavy uh the legs on the the tripod legs are heavy so so then Jorgen is mad at Wolf. He thinks that Wolf has sabotaged the, the launch in order to save these people. He's demanding that he take off right away. Wolf says, well, it's not my fault. I, I can't just take off. And he's like, that's it. Um, you're finished, Wolf. And then he says, I'll fire. And then suddenly his hand is hit by a Yeah, he's a got spanner. a fire on the count of 10. Yes. And then, yeah, that's right. It's uh, thrown a spanner at the works that's uh, right. and uh, knocks him in the hand. It's Tintin with a gun. Yeah. Oh, yes, me. Did I disturb you? Can I say oh, that I he beg could, your pardon? Can I, I was going to say that he wrenched the gun out of his hand. Oh, also good. Yeah. All right. No monkeying around. Uh, we can keep going for a while. <laughs> uh, did I disturb you? Oh, I too beg your pardon. Oh, he's getting really. He's enjoying himself here. Yeah. Uh, I, I really should have knocked before I came in. Okay, you're doing a lot of business here now. <laughs> now get up, both of you, and put up your hands. Small world, isn't it, uh, Colonel Boris? I, you haven't changed that much since your days when you plotted against your master, the King of Sildavia. Yeah, I mean, we we revealed this last episode, so it's it's a little uh, it's kind of easy for us to know who it is. For readers of the time, they would have been like, "Who? What?" Unless they were like big I fans. Know, how of, long ago was it? Well, that would have been Autocar Scepter, so that would have been like thirty-seven, thirty-eight. Uh, it came just before. Um, before the Land of Black Gold started. Yeah. So it's been a while. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while since it... So people would have been like, huh? And so it's up... So nice of Tintin to reveal. Because, um, I mean, at any moment, there could have been that kind of little, you know, one and then a little bracket saying C. Yep. Uh, but it would have kind of spoiled the spoiled the reveal. So it's better that it's Tintin that reveals it rather than an editorial note at the bottom. So uh, Captain comes up uh, and Tintin fills him in. They tie up uh, the bad guys. And then we uh, spill the beans on the on the on the plot, uh, or at least or he on says Wolf's, like, history. Wolf's history. Yeah, yeah. that Wolf, you know, Wolf t- tells us that he was working in the states, that he became kind of involved. He be- he got debt in- into debt with gambling. Uh, he became tied up with this group of criminals who were, uh, you know, who were uh, you know using him to uh, blackmailing him. So he escaped to Europe, started working for this this uh, space program, but they caught up with him. That was when in the very early part of the first book the the evil villain the steve allen evil villain is looking at the list of of names and he sees a name in there he's like aha i you know and he says he hasn't wasted his time so he saw wolf's name and he knew who wolf was and so that's who he ah, okay. targeted uh, now uh, he knew that was a chink in the armor and we've uh, we've kind of brushed over that snowy in that fall earlier broke his leg oh poor snowy poor snowy 
you know, uh, Captain says he's got away with animals. We're going to just check him out. No, doesn't like it. It was the one fall that wasn't funny. Oh, poor little Snowy with his little tongue hanging out and his little bandaged leg. So, uh, so, uh, but back to the interrogating of Wolf. Uh, one of the Thompsons has a question. Yes, a vital question. Okay, what's this vital question? You know, uh, what about the skeleton? Was that you? The skeleton? Come on, answer up. Okay. So yeah. it was the, you know, they got fooled by an x-ray machine mm-hmm. earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, just letting everybody know yeah. that uh, what their characters are. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So more of an exposition dump uh, here, and I'll throw that over to you. Must I? Yeah, okay. my I eyes will, ain't so good with I that will tiny do writing. The, uh, I will do the, uh, yeah, yours is tinier than mine, actually, because I have good old Neil Hislop's uh, handwriting rather than your computer um, font. Um so yes, he says uh, your enemies. So your enemies didn't succeed in capturing the trial rocket. Um, so we thinking back to Destination Moon when the rocket was hijacked in midair by, I guess, changing the the transmitter signal. Um, Tintin was, it, well, calculus was able to blow it up, you know, in, in, you know, before it could be put into enemy hands at Tintin's recommendation. But they believe that I was the one who betrayed them, and so they threatened to kill Wolf. Then they learned that this rocket was under construction, and they gave me fresh orders. One of the crates coming from Oberkoken, that's where the uh, lenses and stuff for the, the telescopes were, com- were coming from, would be faked and would conceal a journalist. Ah, so Wolf is being fooled as well. His part would simply to be to facilitate his task. So, Haddock's, of course, mad. He said, you believe yep. there would just be a journalist? Goes, oh, well, I didn't know. He said he'd reveal his presence when the rocket reached the moon. So, soon after arrival here, I took advantage of your absence to let him out of his hiding place. It was Jorgen. He devolved his real objective to capture the rocket and take it back to, not to Sprague, but to the country for which he works. The unnamed country. But it's Steve Allen, so we know it's America. <laughs> That's right. Two more points. Wolf, the ladder being retracted in the crate that nearly squashed us. Was that you? Yes. When you were... And when you were just behind me, says Haddock, pretending to have an attack of dizziness, you meant to push him out. Wolf has to confess it's true, but Wolf... It too is the... In his defense, didn't actually do these things. He actually stopped them from happening. Right. Um, so today, when Tintin was alone on board, and the rest of you had departed for 48 hours, that seemed like the perfect opportunity for Jorgen to escape from his his uh, hiding place and to take over the rocket. Yeah, this is the real Scooby-Doo explanation That's moment. true. That's true. But that old man, mm-hmm. he really... yeah, He could sure run. Sure. <laughs> he sure could run in that heavy suit. Uh, it was only... Afterwards, that he told me of his plan to abandon. So, so that's uh, Tintin's story, or sorry, Wolf's story. That you know he was kind of forced into this situation against his will. He's obviously a weakling. He is, yeah. his vice of gambling. He's a man it, of weak character, yeah. not evil character. Not evil character. He's a Whereas weak, Jorgen, weak character. Evil. <laughs> yes, Jorgen is definitely evil. So, undoubtedly, by cutting the leads, Tintin has averted disaster. The only problem is now is that the damage done in the aborted launch and Tintin's uh, sabotage of his own engines will add to their time they need before they can actually take off. So Not only that, we've got an extra guy on the Now there's ship. another extra guy that they hadn't taken account of. That's For right. oxygen. So their oxygen, uh, assum- they're assumed, they're cutting the trip short because Thompson and Thompson were on board, you know, based on the calculations of Thompson and Thompson being board, not also Jorgen. So uh, the problem is, of course, that Tintin will not allow Jorgen to be left behind, much to Haddock's disgust that Wolf and Jorgen would, would not be thrown off the ship. So... And gotta, I like the... Uh, I like the uh, say it, don't spray it. Yes, that's Jorgen. a great secret. And uh, to the point where uh, Thompson and Thompson both have to hold up an umbrella. Yes, they use Calculus's uh, umbrella to and hide behind it. Yeah. So I think we can move fairly quickly through sure, this sure. part. Um, so we basically just go through a sequence of events where they are, are, yes, Calculus tells them that they'll have to add more time for the return journey because of this. And... Uh, 
it's going to be very close. And so they have to work as, as quickly as they can. So we get, whoops, there, my book just fell apart and all the pages fell out. Not all the pages. Fortunately, I still have pages 36 to so the rest at the end of the book still. So, <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, now what's interesting in the, uh, there's a sequence where, um, Tintin and, and Haddock are outside so collecting some of the gear. The tank's going to be left behind because they don't have time to take it apart. Right. And uh, Also, you wouldn't. It's extra weight. It's nonsense. You wouldn't want that. And Haddock is singing uh, Buffalo Girls. Yes. And saying, and they dance by the light of the light of the earth, he says, in a bit of a thing. That's a good joke. In the French version, he's singing Claire de Lune. So okay. Yeah. Also nice. A little different. Good. Hope he said Claire de Earth. Um, and so uh, Claire de Terre, I guess it would be. Claire de la Terre? Claire du Terre. Claire du Terre. Earth is, is masculine. Sorry. So uh, calculus is saying now that uh, you know takeoff should uh, be taking place in sixteen point five two hours. So we got uh, so we've got about two hours to go. Uh, yeah, and then we get a uh, we get a copy drawing from an earlier part of the story. Oh, is that right? Where we get the down downward look on the control room. Yeah. Totally ripped off from the earlier version. They just cleaned the table off. Other than that, it's pretty much the exact same drawing. Well, why would you? Why would you not do that? Yeah, it's a lot of work. So we're getting down to the captain. By the way, the captain is upset. We have that, all drawn uh, comics. We know that where you can cut corners, you cut those corners. The captain's upset that the prisoners are going to have mattresses or are, are going to be lying down so they won't suffer too much, according to calculus. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you want me to make them breakfast in bed as well? Oh, I hate those guys. I'm angry. So what we get to grudge. the countdown, uh, and then uh, calculus presses the button and prays that everything works properly. Otherwise, we're condemned to death. <laughs> the rocket launches. Success! Wonderful! Marvelous! We're off! And just for a change, as the captain blistering barnacles, we're going to pass out. And so, you know, there the, the rocket's going up, going up, it's going up, and uh, they're, they're uh, being called from Earth, uh, saying like, uh, I say, Mr. Baxter, there's something wrong. Look, the rocket is deviating from the correct line of flight. Wonder what's happening? Oh, uh, troubles. Bad troubles. Yeah. Uh, so they try to reach the rocket. Uh, they wake up Tintin. And, Do you uh, think they would they would be knocked out uh, trying to get off the moon? Because there would be way less gravity. Like they're not having to do as use as much force in order to to escape, get a reach escape velocity from the. Well, it depends. I mean, if it's okay, you go if it's enough velocity to knock them out on the moon, it would definitely be enough to knock them out on Earth, right? You can go with like you, I know what you're saying. You're saying like, oh, it's just enough to knock them out coming up from Earth, so yeah. it should be reduced, so it wouldn't. There's knock less them out G force, on the moon. though. There's That's less true. But you don't know how much G-force it would take to get you off of the moon. Yeah, like it might just be way a no, lot way of less, G-force. To way get. less. Once again, this less is something sciencey that uh, people out there would know. Yeah. Uh, so, Someone get uh, Neil deGrasse Tintin to call us. <laughs> That's right. Got to keep doing that one, huh? All right. So uh, Tintin calls the Earth. Says he's. Uh, I'm like a snowy with a bone. That's right. It says he's regained consciousness. Uh, Tintin wakes up uh, the professor. Uh, Captain wakes up seeing this is going on. Uh, runs uh, along one of the Thompsons back. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Snowy seems to enjoy seeing this happening. Yes, he's a. Uh, they realize uh, he feels the same way about the Thompsons that we do. Yeah, uh, but he is happy that more comedy relief is there because he gets less hurt. Though he has got a broken leg. Yeah. Uh, so uh, calculus. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, the steering gear is uh, out of alignment. There we go. Thank goodness. Moon rocket is now uh, heading to Earth. Uh, the steering gear was jammed. Everything's, everything's fine. fine. No problems at everything's all. Everything's good. And oh, here comes Jorgen with uh, a gun. What? But, who? But the captain tied. He tied him up. 
captain tied him up. The captain's a, a sailor. He's he a knows great, his knots. He's a great knot. Well, not only That's that. That's why it's the nautical. Yeah. I mean, do they, they, do they make the comment here about being a Boy Scout, or is that a little bit later on? I think that was uh, Tintin said he was never a Boy Scout. I was able to easily yeah, escape Yeah, it was the like ropes. a nice uh, big plug for the Boy Scouts there. Yeah, that's right. So uh, here we go. It's uh, He's got them at gunpoint, uh, saying, ah, shoes on the other, boots on the other foot right now, isn't it, gentlemen? Ha, 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 ha. And uh, and Wolf keeps trying to convince him to not uh, to not hurt them, not shoot them. Uh, Wolf wrestles with the gun with him, and Jargon is shot to death. Yes, it's over. There's nothing anyone can do. Uh, Wolf is very upset that he's uh, that's killed him. Uh, but Tintin tries to comfort him, and uh, and 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 Captain is not having any of this. You know, uh, you know, uh, he uh, Tintin's saying that he trusts trusts Wolf. What? This interplanetary pirate, this freshwater spaceman, let him go free. Then at the first opportunity, the snake can stab us in the back. Uh, into the hold with them blistering barnacles. Into the hold and and then all of a sudden the captain starts to have a bad reaction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because he's running out of oxygen, so all his yelling is causing his throat to tighten. Right, the carbon dioxide is accumulating. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just want to point out another shot of the Earth. No clouds. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, you could just take some white out and just draw them in yourself if it really bothers you. It doesn't, doesn't bother me. I just think it's interesting. So it's getting worse for everybody right now. Things are bad. And time goes by. And then we see Wolf sneaking out. What is he doing? Yeah, what someone's... kind of nefarious activity is he up to? Oh, but luckily someone spotted him. Oh, thank you. Oh, goodness. sadly, Everything's it's, the Tom- oh, it's one dear. of the Thompsons. Oh. Uh, and uh, Wolf says, I'm going to go get another cylinder of oxygen down there. Oh, good, says Thompson. I have to ask, you see, the captain uh, particularly told me to give him details of every single move you made. Oh, very good. So uh, down, down he goes. He even says, it's incredible he hasn't given the alarm, as if he has never met the Thompsons. Strange. So down he goes. Uh, Earth calling moon rocket, says Earth. Can you hear me? Earth to moon rocket, can you hear me? Uh, Tintin wakes up, and uh, uh, Earth says, stand by. You have a quarter of an hour before the uh, turning operation. So he wakes them up. Uh, and where's Wolf? Oh, the captain's furious. You go and looking for him, and they find a note. Yeah. The note says, uh, by the time you read this, I shall have left the rocket. Uh, when I am gone, I hope you'll have enough oxygen to reach Earth alive. Perhaps by some miracle, I shall escape too. Nope. Forgive uh, me for the harm I have done, Wolf. So this is an interesting sequence, actually, because in the original magazine version, uh, Wolf says... This is my terrible translation of the French. Uh, it says, When you find these lines, I will have already thrown myself into the void. It is useless to look for me. You know that I have disappeared for, you know, you, you know that I have disappeared forever into space. For me, I hope you will have oxygen, enough oxygen to arrive safe and sound. Adieu and forgive me for what I have done. Now that was the original note. See, there's no mention of Perhaps I will escape in some other way. Yeah. Perhaps a passing another passing spacecraft will pick me up and take me. Perhaps that Adonis fellow who lives near here apparently <laughs> will find me. Take me in. But what happened I, was I heard that there's a seaside resort yeah, near here. That's right. Uh, Thompson's was, told me about it. The circus is in town, and no. Uh, what happened was after the, it was published in the magazine, there was outrage and clamor. The Catholic hierarchy was upset, and uh, you know the weight of of social all all the uh, Catholic. Uh, structure of Belgium came down on on space suicide on Erge and yeah because it's suicide now to, to Erge it was kind of like Captain Oates walking out of the the tent in the arc in the in the Antarctic to save the rest of the the expedition from from starvation that to him that's w- what it was it was a sacrifice yeah. to save to save other people so it wasn't suicide it was a noble act right. of of 
self self sacrifice is killing him. That's right, and he's not. Yeah, and the act itself is so good that it it negates the 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 necessary evil of the suicide. But that wasn't enough. So he had to add that stupid little line that made it look like it was possible that he was going to uh, yes meet Adonis and go to the uh, go to the uh, beach. Uh, the captain says they can't be true. If he opened the outer door, the motor would have stopped. Wait, there's more. P.S. <laughs> to answer you directly, yes. To open the outer door without sounding the alarm and stopping the motors, I had to cut a few wires. Uh, you only need to reconnect them, and everything will work properly again. Signed again, W. Yeah, he just, signed, way, he I just signed it in case they didn't know there yeah. was him adding. The By the way, script. I should probably have mentioned what those wires were. Anyway, if you need me, I'm in space. Uh, goodbye. I might be fine. Well, they're all pretty clear. I mean, they'd be marked by color, so you just reconnect the color to each sure. color. And at this point, uh, the captain is very touched. 10,000 thundering typhoons. He's gone out into space to save our lives, and I accused him. Oh. And uh, one of the Thompsons uh, says, have you caught the thug wolf? What? Uh, what, uh, what did you say? Wolf a thug? If I ever hear one disrespectful thing about that hero, I'll throw you into space to join him. You understand, you iconoclast, you, I, woo. Now we're getting back to getting close to Earth. We're doing the rotation. A quarter of an hour later, the rotation has occurred. Uh, and they've turned successfully. They're all getting into their beds again. Except for Captain Haddock. That's right. Who's decided this is the perfect opportunity to get drunk. <laughs> So he starts slamming down the whiskey. Always a good idea. And I just love the shot. There's a the middle the middle panel on the second line. That's a shot of him drinking there, and it just just the way he's standing. I mean, this looks so terrible. <laughs> just like you know, it just looks like he's I don't know, sort of sunk to some low level as he's drinking this whiskey. And ugh. meanwhile, the Thompsons are angry at him. And not only does he see two Thompsons, he now sees four Thompsons. Right. He decides that's two Thompsons too many, and I would agree. And he gets back into bed. And uh, promptly Gives falls up. asleep, cradling the bottle of whiskey in his arms. Then a half hour later, moon rocket to Earth, says Tintin. The air is becoming unbreathable. The last cylinder from our spacesuits has been used up. The others are already unconscious. I wonder if we can possibly get back alive. Don't lose heart, says uh, says uh, Ground Control. Uh, thanks. Uh, I'll do my best to hold on till the end. But I, I, I'm afraid I shan't have the strength. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> and then the villain... Goodbye, yes, goodbye. May you all perish up there. Jorgen and Wolf bungled their work. Uh, we shall uh, not get your accursed rocket. Well, may you go to the devil in it. And I hate George Bailey. <laughs> so, uh, oh. for nearly an hour, the rocket uh, hurtles on towards the Earth. By the way, see something Hergé does a lot is uh, good use of time. Mm-hmm. You really feel like there's a lot of time goes through. Like in a in most movies, uh, you know, most movies you feel like everything's happened super quick. Yeah, it feels like no. This movies are comics. That's right. I'm saying movies. Okay. Movies do that, and yeah. then com. I think comics imitate movies a lot. Yeah. And so everything happens right after the other. There's always like three days later, a week later, <laughs> an hour later. Stuff that, happens. It that takes was some his, time. That was the one problem he had with comics, and he felt the same in movies. Was it was hard to show passage of time. Without resorting to corny tricks like a calendar or or someone having some, see, a lot of time has passed. So basically, you're just stuck with your intertitles, you know. Right. So we're landing now. Uh, Tintin. Tintin actually answers. Moon rocket to Earth. Tintin and a lot of long breaths. Just I understand. I'll try to rouse the professor. Tries. No dice. It climbs down. It's dizzy. It's got to make it to the control cabin. Nearly there. Almost there. Passes out in the control cabin. Wow. It's very dramatic. You're reading there. Thank very, you. Very, very dramatic. Well, I am a trained actor. You are a trained actor. Uh, uh, Earth to moon rocket. 
In heaven's name, Tintin, answer. It's hopeless. He must have passed out, says uh, Ground Control. Quick, uh, make a, a, a tuning single, uh, a signal as piercing as you possibly can. It might be the only way to bring him back to their senses. They do that. Tintin uh, wakes up annoyed. What? Yeah. The automatic pilot gets to it and does. The automatic pilot goes in. The ship lands safely. Hooray. Yeah. So uh, a car, we see a car uh, jetting off across the apron. Uh, it's uh, Mr. Baxter's car. Uh, they have to, of course, avoid being uh, cooked alive by the rocket. So they have to stop you yeah. know, for the for the rocket. The rocket lands. Uh, out go the uh, fire trucks. Uh, we see, uh, it looks like Baxter yeah. uh, got pretty charred. Maybe a little, uh, got a little too close there. That's a, this one little interesting thing is um, the sound effect of the car sliding to a stop. It's the same in the French version. They just didn't, they didn't even bother changing the, yeah, they didn't bother changing the... Uh... So now they're uh, cutting the rocket open, trying to get in inside in time. Baxter is there. Uh, it feels like he's entering I, a tomb. I, I would do a C-R-R-R-R sound effect there. Okay. I think that would sound more like car and gravel. I agree. Yeah. Seconded. Uh, go, goes into the, the room with all the beds. Not a single movement. Uh, Baxter, very upset. Hello, hello. Tries to wake the professor, but it's no good. Uh, gets the workers to take them all onto the fresh air at once, give them oxygen. And uh, I like watching those guys cut the uh, cut the side of the spaceship with, yeah, their, with their that is nice sauce. and dramatic. Yeah. yeah, super dramatic. They're waiting there. He's like, hurry, hurry. Yeah, would that yeah. be really hot? Would you say the uh, rocket at that point, like when they're cutting it? Yeah, I would think so because it just had probably reached a white heat. Yeah, coming in. So uh, so Tintin wakes up on a stretcher. Uh, they are wearing gloves. So. Giving given some oxygen. Uh, is told he's safe on, on Earth. Uh, is it really true? Is everyone all right? Uh, the others and Snowy, uh, Professor and the Texas are out of danger. So is Snowy. But your friend, the captain, his condition oh, I is... I thought this was a part where he says, I had a dream about you. You were in it and you were... That's right. Uh, and his condition is more serious. And uh, Tintin's very upset. Now, of course, uh, Tintin should lie down probably for a while. But Tintin no. will not lie no, down. No. Uh, he's need a medical attention. A heck with it. Goes to see the captain. Can't wake him up. Can't wake him up. His pulse is irregular and very weak. But the doctor says, "What can you expect? The man's heart is worn out. It's not surprising. Uh, they tell me he was a great whiskey drinker. But well, that wakes him up. That's yeah. the magic word. He hears the word whiskey. What? It wasn't a dream. I distinctly heard someone uh, here just mention whiskey. And so very happy to see the captain is alive. Uh, the calculus is fine. The Thompsons are fine. Snowy is fine. Uh, Tinson says to him, that's the narrowest escape we've ever had. And then, man comes with the whiskey. Hooray! Says the captain. Uh, a glass for me, uh, me too, captain, says Calculus. I want to drink a toast with you. It's the first time in my life I've tasted this beverage, uh, but this is not the moment to drink chamomile tea. And how? Everybody drink whiskey. Yes. Even you kids at home, find some whiskey and drink along. Uh, they've just lived through the uh, greatest epic of all time, says Calculus. Uh, the marks on our feet are inscribed upon the surface of the moon, and uh, shall we let the dust of centuries hide those glorious marks forever, gentlemen? No, this will never be, for I promise you, we shall return there. To which uh, Captain spits out his whiskey. So bad he spits out his whiskey. Yeah. You know, to go back there to the moon, uh, may I be turned into a bollard blistering barnacles if I so much as set foot in your flying coffin again. Never do you hear me, you interplanetary goat. You never. I tell you, there's just a one. Uh, I tell you, I've learned just a one thing from all this. Man's proper place trips <laughs> and falls on his face. Falls on the is on dear old Earth. The end. That's a good gig. It is a good gag. It's a good finishing gig. 
Also, and he would probably not uh, be able to walk around on Earth real good uh, being in space no, for that amount of time. No, they would have their space legs. Yeah, totally space-legged. Yeah. But I can see how someone would think they'd be going back with the whole, we're going to be going back sometime. Sure. Well, I, don't think, I don't think it was like a general feeling that people were like out in the street holding signs and stuff like that. I think it was just the publishers were looking for like, let's cash in on this a little bit more. Now, uh, and they said, no, I think we've cashed in enough on this. Now, they do have like continuity in Tintin where, you know, they will refer to old villains or mm-hmm. such. Uh, now, Tintin originally was a fairly well-known reporter. Yeah. Is Tintin now known as the first person to walk on the moon in future stories? Or is that just... Forget about it. No one I don't know. I, can't, I don't remember that now. We'll have, to, we'll have to see, I guess. It feels like, you know, it is, uh, Neil Armstrong, boy reporter. Yeah. You know, by the way, I also walked on the moon. I think... And here's my story about the Incas. Yeah, how was the moon? I think there is some references to it, but we will see. Okay. We will see. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting uh, discussion, but not probably for this podcast of like the time where cartoon characters walk on the moon. Mm-hmm. You know, because a lot of cartoon characters made that, you know, uh, journey. And it it often meant something for each of the characters and a change in what the characters were. You know, like in like in The Simpsons, like in The Spirit, okay. you know, like and like here in, in Tintin, I'm guessing. I don't know what the future uh, stories hold, you know, but, uh, you know, people when they talk about Tintin often talk about this. And the most common sort of action figure I've seen is the rocket. That seems to be something yeah. people love it's a lot. It's very iconic. Yeah. 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 Um, it's not my favorite set of books. I do like it a lot. I think it's very mm-hmm. well done. It's, a, it's an incredible achievement. I when, thought this was the tightest story. Like this this mm-hmm. one here, this issue is like really, really just clips along, even with Thompson Thompson showing up. Yeah. They don't yeah. really, they don't throw too much, you know, of a problem into yeah. things. Yeah. You know? They don't yeah, take not, you out of it. They're not too much in the way. Yeah, you're right. And I, and uh, we will not see them for a little while now. Okay. And they won't, um, I think they're in the next book. They don't, re- they don't travel anymore. You won't, they won't go with Tintin anywhere. They won't stow away anymore. Yeah, I think not until quite a bit later will we see that. So okay. it's, it's, uh, yeah, I think even, even Hergé began to recognize that there's just too many similar characters doing similar things and, you know, you need, needed to streamline, streamline that a little bit. Um, but also the s- stories are going to change a little bit and, and they're telling as well. So, you know, and now the next stage for him, is well right now he has Bob Demore uh, as a, as a fellow you know as a sort of assistant uh, Guy de Cici doing coloring. Now it's time for him to even further expand the studios. That was the next stage for him to actually bring in lots of people, not just a few people. Okay. Uh, bring in lots of people, and the studios did expand quite a bit. They were had up to fifty people working. He had up to fifty people working for him at some at once you know at certain times. Um, but there was a really uh, a central core of people that were like the true creative tr- team that worked behind Hergé. And we'll talk a bit about them next time because they will have a big part in the next story. Cool. Well, and the that next, next story is? The next story is The Calculus Affair. A real favorite of mine. Okay, groovy. Uh, now, uh, yes. as we've mentioned ahead of, uh, uh, mentioned ahead, mentioned earlier is what yeah. it was. Uh, sorry, guys. We're, we're doing this with a lot of smoke inhalation. <laughs> There's a lot of forest fires in the area, and uh, the sky is a very odd color. Um, uh, We'd love to hear from you, uh, so please uh, write us. Uh, Here's how you can do it. If you want to write us by email, sneaky... Write an email. What's that? Write an email. You write an email using your computer box. That's right. SneakyD at SneakyDragon.com. If you're wondering, what's all this Sneaky Dragon business? That is also the name of our other podcast. Yes. So, you know, it's, we put it know, all in one this barrel. Is part, this is part of the Sneaky Dragon Network. That's right. If you want to hear us talking uh, about not Tintin, mm-hmm. that's the podcast to listen to. We talk about everything else that's not Tintin. Oh. And everything else. 
And everything. Yeah. Now we can't talk about Neil deGrasse Tyson, though, because we talked about it on him on this show. So that's off limits. But everything else besides Neil deGrasse Tyson and Tintin, yeah. there you go. Uh, if you want to uh, go to our message board, sneakydragon.com is our website, mm-hmm. uh, and our message boards are there. We're also on Facebook at Totally Tintin, and we are at Sneaky underscore Dragon on Twitter. Any of those ways is a great way to reach us. And if you write something that we maybe uh, missed out on, we will probably write you back. And if you write something really interesting, we might even send you some stuff. Yep. Some you things. Never, you never know. Items. We don't know what those are. You never know. You never ap- No. Well, Dave doesn't know. I know. You know? So uh, thank you so much for uh, listening. Is there anything else do you want to uh, say before we wrap up? Um, no. And that's how professional we are. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get this right in the next couple of uh, podcasts. What, what did I do wrong? This is only our uh, 59th What did I do wrong? Uh, episode. <laughs> What did I do wrong? You did fine. What did you I? You did really, did really I, good, Dave. We made it? it to the moon. Did I we it? made it back. I wrecked We're going to reverse right? the rockets, and we will see you next week. I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll edit it. I'll edit it the entire beginning of the show. I'll just leave this part in. He never adds anything at all. He's the absent-minded professor of this podcast. I've been Ian Boothby. I've been David Dedrick. Thank you for your kind attention. It's been totally Tintin. Bye.